Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. It's Friday Free For All! And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, a Friday free on a Thursday, well, I don't know, releasing it for a Thursday listen, but I'm recording on a Wednesday, but whatever, it all works. Today's show, we're going to cover Supreme Court cases, PPFA releases its numbers, and it's staggering, and I don't say that for hyperbole, it's just really staggering when you, you think about it. Fourth of July, the history of Smithville Jamboree, Everybody Lies by Seth Stevens Davidowitz, which is a hyphen name. And if you have a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. And news and social media nuggets, uh, we're not going to do an intro section like we usually do. We're just going to close the loop um, and cover a couple subjects. But this is going to be, um, other than the PPFA and the Supreme Court, uh, a lot of non-political subjects today just to have some fun. So, right off the bat, we're going to close the loop, but on the back side of the loop bumper, you're going to hear tape two from Project Veritas. Other presidents tried to say nice things about the Russians and other, you know, warm things in their heart and they love, not in the face of an active attack on the country. Hey, man. The Russian thing is just a big nothing burger. Really? The more I see them constantly, like, Russia this, Russia that. Because it's ratings. I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. Changing it from fake news, though. D- doesn't that under Very fake news. I right? know, but aren't you? Well, the thing is just a big nothing burger. Today we continue with our American Pravda investigations inside America's mainstream media with part two on CNN. Fake news. The Russia story. You're about to see one of CNN's most prominent left-leaning political commentators in total agreement with President Trump. We think this might be the first time this has ever happened. 
Maybe it's because he didn't realize he was going to be on television. And as Chris Cuomo has said, sometimes that's when you're the most honest. Hey, man. We met in Palm Springs a few years back. You good? Yeah. How you been? What are you doing? What, what, what do you think is going to happen this week? I mean, with the whole Russia thing. Uh, the Russia thing is just a big nothing but Really? You don't think that... Uh... There's nothing there you can do. No. Uh, the Russia thing is just a big nothing but Really? You don't think that... Uh... There's nothing there you can do. No. Yesterday, you met supervising producer John Bonifield. The more CNN constantly, like, Russia this, Russia that... Because it's ratings. Because it's ratings? Our ratings are incredible right now. But honestly, you, you think the whole Russia shit is just like bullshit. Could be bullshit. I mean, we, it's mostly bullshit right now. Like, we don't have any big giant proof. But CNN's response, quote, CNN stands by our medical producer, John Bonifield. Diversity of personal opinion is what makes CNN strong. We welcome it and embrace it. Unquote. Good, because Bonifield says he was not alone in his cynicism for the news business. And Dan Jones agrees with him that the Russia story is bold. So I love the, I love the news business, but I I find it so I'm very cynical about it. At the same time, so are most of my colleagues. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not alone. The organization is reeling. The president is posting headlines about our investigation. And even mainstream media is paying attention. White House spokesperson Sarah Huckabee Sanders has a recommendation to all. Uh, there's a video circulating now, whether it's accurate or not. Uh, I don't know, but I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. So there you have it. Van Jones admits the Russia story is just a nothing burger. Bonifield says it's all about ratings. The White House is telling everyone to go watch the videos. The media for years has gotten away with manufacturing consent. People are fed up with, with the emptiness and the artifice that pervades our media. Well, I'll tell you something. Change is coming, whether CNN likes it or not. Yeah, nothing burger. Uh, it's all over Twitter. This was uh, a tweet I saw because I follow Project Veritas. The tweet came out. So within 30 minutes, one hour later, I saw a meme of uh, Van Jones in between two buns, which I thought was pretty, pretty funny. But it's just further proof. Um, yeah. Is that a smoking gun? Is it huge? No. But I mean, it's just proof. When Van Jones is saying it, remember, this is Mr. America had a whitewash for a black president. People are scared out there because of xenophobia, racist, litany of bullshit. And then he does a whole segment and, and series that was very hard to find because CNN didn't want to show it again that literally proved that Obama voters that flipped for Trump weren't a bunch of racist fucks. They just didn't like Hillary and they were sick of being told they're racist fucks. And boom, now he even admits it. But every night you can go on there. You'll hear it. I mean, he's got to play along with the CNN thing. But, you know, go back to Peggy Noonan. They're just banking on the numbers. They believe that they just keep pushing this shit. And they push it and they push it and they push it. Maybe something will come, but it doesn't really matter if it comes or not because they're degradating the president. That's their political objective because they freaking hate him. And secondly, it's good for ratings. They think the 2.9 million extra votes that came out of California – 
literally means something. So they're going to keep rolling down that road. To a couple uh, interesting, well, they're not interesting, they're just normal. John Cusack, you're dead. Get yourself buried. That was directed towards the President of the United States. Followed by Sally Cohn, today, troubled Wisconsin man goes on 50-state killing spree, and it's Paul Ryan. She then tried to back it up with all trying to, all, trying to make, she didn't put in punctuation because it's Twitter, so you can't, but I think she meant to say it this way. All, trying to make rhetoric sharp but not lethal. I thought this poster was harmlessly clever. Apologies if anyone was offended. No, 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 no. You're not apologetic. You, you can give two shits. At the end of the day, that, that's how you guys talk. And I replied back to her not to play the outrage police, police, but if a con had a picture of Nancy Pelosi in a 50 stakes killing spree, Sally Cohn would be all over CNN and all the other fucking sorry networks she's on and be just, oh my God, the rancor. This is why there's so much conservative violence. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. Larry Elder, Bernie Sanders calls FBI investigation of his wife land deal pathetic a politically, as, and politically motivated. He then tweeted, welcome to Mr. Trump's world, Senator Preet Bharara. Everybody remember him, the guy that everybody had to step down? The left loved this guy because he refused to and had to be forced. He was the darling of the left for like a week until they found out that he wasn't a liberal. All politicians hate investigations, all cry, political motivation, Democrat, Republican, Socialist, Whig, oldest and lamest play in the book. Doesn't seem like much. Oh, his second tweet tweet is very telling. By the way, had I said this about Trump or a Republican tonight, I would have 2K likes already. We are better served by principle, not politics. Good for him. Good for him. Yesterday, the House met Podesta behind closed doors. Not going to go in depth because we don't know what it said. But since he is the source of a leak, he's the guy that actually caused the leak by clicking on clickbait. And all the terrible things he said, why didn't the American people get to see that? We're going to see Comey, the FBI director, live, simulcast, with a big can of jerk cream and some Kleenex next to it. And that's cool, but this guy, we're going to sneak him in the back door. Interesting. Political reporter, biased journalism, okie dokie. As we shall see, it is journalism professor Michael Stevens writing, supposedly sober, in the June 26 Politico, which startling admission about anti-Trump bias in the mainstream media that even the slightly coherent among us were aware of, but which many liberal journalists still very unconvincingly deny. Stevens is a flat-out liberal, obviously antagonistic towards Trump, but his saving grace is a shocking honesty about the current state of journalism which is revealed in his article titled Goodbye Nonpartisan Journalism and Good Riddance. He then goes through the whole thing saying it's good for us. The ending of this article, hooray, the death of objectivity is journalism. Embrace the bias. That's what all these people are doing now. They're not admitting there's bias. They're saying it's good. We need a biased journalism. should be antagonistic. These are the same people for eight years didn't report anything about Obama. There's nothing. You didn't hear anything about Obama. They're still burying his shit. And then in 2020, when a Democrat wins, most likely, you you are going to see nothing. Crickets. 
and then you'll finish their term, and it'll be the same lame shit we just sat through with. The, he's the most scandal-less president ever. That's what people said. To the no press conference, Dylan Byers, note to viewers, it's right-wing outlet asking about the media, a.k.a. a setup. It's the real reporters asking about healthcare, Syria, etc. They are so butthurt over there on CNN. Donald J. Trump, wow, CNN had to retract, big story, blah, 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 blah. We covered it yesterday. Chris Saliza, this is wrong. Three employees resigned because they didn't follow proper protocols for vetting stories. It's the essence of accountability. The entire world dumped all over this twig. Chris Barron's one I grabbed. Jesus Christ, give it up. You guys screwed up big time. Own it. That is the essence of accountability. They didn't own it. CNN Communication even came in. CNN just posted its most watched second quarter in history. Those are facts. CNN producer. We fake stories to increase our ratings. CNN. That's not true. Our ratings are way up. I have a rating segment in just a little bit. CNN's full of shit. They're still getting toasted. Even by MSNBC. So all of this has caused a Twitter hashtag. And once again, I'm just closing on things we talked about. This one was really, really funny. It's hashtag more trusted than CNN. And there's thousands. I just cherry-picked some. Uh, Jesse Kelly, your wife telling you nothing is wrong is hashtag more trusted than CNN. <laughs> I love that one. Elizabeth Warren's genealogy was one. That's more trusted. Gas station sushi. There was like 500 sushis. I thought it was pretty funny. Fruit you buy at the on-ramp to the Eisenhower Expressway is more trusted. That was Momo. Art Vandalay, Ted Kennedy Taxi Service. I love that one because everybody follows the show. I hate Ted Kennedy. And I spit on his grave in Arlington. Bernie Madoff, retirement advice. That is Jade Zuis, whatever. At Lamblock. Dawn, security at Hillary, Hillary Clinton's toilet server. <laughs> I love that one. Larry Hale, potato salad at room temperature. I've eaten it at, like, backpack temperature, so I, I, that was not as funny. Uh, Romani, Alyssa Milano's voting advice. That's, that's a good one. Uh, assault musket. Margaret Sanger at the BET Awards. <laughs> and don't worry. When I go into PPFA today, I'm not going to bust out. I'm not going to bust out the Sanger again, but you know I want to. But my favorite of all that, and I'd give it a tweet of the day if we we're doing our normal stuff, is somebody just tweeted a picture of Bill and Hill and said, hashtag more trust to the CNN. And I thought, woo, you win the internet. Jim Acosta, of course, who started all this crazy shit, his latest, I mean, listen to this. This guy is bucking for an Emmy or, uh, uh, what is it, a Pulitzer, I guess is the equivalency of an Emmy. Does this feel like America where the White House takes questions from conservatives that openly trash the news media in the briefing room? You know, um, yeah, it does. Because for eight years, conservative media couldn't get in there. HuffPo was the first people asked. HuffPo wasn't the HuffPo of now. It was still Arianda Huffington's bullshit. That's like Breibart. That's what it used to be. And some, like me, would say it still is. So shut your cot trap, you little shit. So I actually broke out, and this is for Sean Hannity, uh, was a, the tweet, but when I dug into it, this pretty much proves the point. Total day demographic, 25th, 25 to 54. FNC, 377. CNN, 
236 tied with MSNBC 236. And I don't talk about headline news here. For prime time, it goes FNC 582, and that's average in thousands. And for those who never researched this shit, because I have, because I have this whole freaking <clears throat> pet rock about doggone journal- journalistic bias. Um, that's in thousands at the start. It doesn't mean they made it all the way through. Um, 582 for FNC, MSDNC 469, CNN 363. And when you go down, uh, you know, at 9 p.m., the 5 is kicking people's ass. I mean, CNN across the board, Tapper 236, Blitzer 261, Blitzer again 294, Burnett 348, Cooper 393, Cooper 354, Lemon 340, and 248, okay? When, when you break that down, Matto beats Cooper like by 200, but at the same time, she loses to Hannity by 100. But nobody's saying that. Remember, she's leading. She's not. He's got 658. I, I think the only one that's close is Matto. The rest are not Matto, but the only one that's close is, uh, let me try to pull it out because I, Straddle the page. The 5 p.m. slot with uh, Blitzer does beat. No, it doesn't beat, but it's close. The specialist, I don't even know what the hell that is, over on uh, Fox. And then total v- viewers, it's not even close. Total viewers, let's just do um, apples to apples. We want to talk about MSDNC. Cavuto, 1.5 million. Tapper, 839,000. Specialist, 1.8. Show I've never even heard of. Blitzer, 857. Bear, 2.4 million. Blitzer, 830. McCallum, I didn't even know she had a show. 2.1 million. Burnett, 890. Carlson, Tucker, Type 1 each. 2.9 million. The closest is Hayes with 1.6. I guess I did bring in an orange from MSDNC. But Cooper, Anderson Cooper only gets a million people. That's it. The five, 2.7 million. Cooper, 962,000. Hannity, 3 million viewers. Lemon, 871,000. And I'd really like to find out who those people are. Um, so, um, a lot of articles have come up. Not going to read them all. My favorite was by a liberal, um, but I'll, I'll leave it alone. It just breaks this down. It shows the editor notes from CNN. Um, they show editor notes from Kyle Griffin from Washington Post. Whole editor notes from Washington Post on the Russian operation hacked a Vermont utility. That was a lie. Russian government hackers do not appear to have targeted it. And, and this is just a long thing for the WAPO, HuffPo, Popo, all of them. C-SPAN even. Just breaking down. Even Vox had an article. Democrats are falling for fake news about Russia. Vox. Ezra Klein. Ezra Klein. Who says we're not supposed to trust the government. Yeah, he did that article. Now most of this is all Russia, 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 right? One anonymous source, don't know anything else, don't corroborate, just go with it. Because they want to be the first to break, Trump's fucked, right? 
Well, how about this story? Democratic senator said she never met Russian ambassador, attended black tie event at his home. That's Claire McCaskill. Oh, Patrick. Patrick and Paige are going, oh, no, Tony. You got that from Brian. No, I got this from her Twitter account. Claire McCaskill, I've been on Armed Service Committee for 10 years. No call or meeting with Russian ambassador ever. Ambassadors call members of Foreign Relations Committee. Remember, Session had to recluse himself because he had scheduled meetings that were organized through the Obama State Department. One of them wasn't even his organ. He didn't even organize it. Obama did. The other one he did. So he had to go down. So she marched that to March. She said that go back to 30 January 2013 off to meeting with Russian ambassador upset about the arbitrary cruel decision to end all U.S. adoptions, even those in process. I have not seen that anywhere. I've only seen it in conservative media. That's directly from her Twitter account. Her Twitter account, not Breitbart, not Daily Caller, not faux news. That's an actual story. But we're not going to cover it. Because we're too busy doing stupid shit like this. If we make the slightest mistake, the slightest word is off, it is uh, just an absolute tirade from a lot of people in this room. But news outlets get to go on day after day and cite unnamed sources, use uh, stories without sources, have, uh, you know, you mentioned the Scaramucci story where they had to have reporters resign. Come on. You're inflaming everybody right here, right now with those words. This administration has done that as well. Why in the name of heavens? Any one of us, right, are replaceable. And any one of us, if we don't get it right, the audience has the opportunity to turn the channel or not read us. I think I you think, have been elected to serve for four years at least. There's no option other than that. We're I here think, to ask you questions. Right. We're here to provide the answers. And what you just did is inflammatory to people all over the country who look at it and say, see, once again, the president is right and everybody else out here is fake media. And everybody in this room is only trying to do their job. Well, I, I just I, I disagree completely. First of all, I think if anything has been inflamed, uh, it's the dishonesty that often takes place by the news media. And I think it is outrageous for you to uh, accuse me of inflaming a story when I was simply trying to respond to his question. Kevin. Now, first, I don't think the White House being professional with all this media shit. I've said it before. I like it. I think CNN, MSDNC, ABC, CBS, NBC, I think they've been in the tank for Democrats forever, and it's kind of nice somebody's finally calling them out on it. But all the news is is about them now. If you go to Jim Acosta's Facebook page, he looks like a teenager that got jilted by his favorite band breaking up. This isn't fair! Look at my socks. I mean, get over it. But the media may never run out. But some are getting tired, and by that, run out of their hate for Trump. Salon, he who must not be named. Salon wants Trump-free Tuesdays. <laughs> it's a whole fucking article about, we don't want to talk about Trump. The article that covered it was, a day free from negative, hateful media sounds better than Taco Tuesdays. I agree. I, I just agree. Uh, you know... It even flowed over to uh, Chris Cuomo, and then I'll move on to the ACHA. Uh, 
I just got this emailed to me uh, from a friend, and right out the gate, he had a, a huge meltdown. Basically, I'll, I'll play it on the next podcast. It's something the fake news has got to stop. It just got to stop. It's horrible. It needs to stop now. Wah, 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 wah. The news isn't about you, but you're making it about you. So, there it is. To the ACHA, a lot of crazy shit going on. I haven't really covered it because it's not a complete bill. And I think the faux outrage about everything is just like Obamacare. I didn't agree with it. I thought it was wrong. I don't think we should have had it. But I really didn't say a whole lot about it other than we shouldn't be doing this until it was passed. And it's the same with this. Half the rumors are like the Russia story. You don't know anything. But one of the big things that I, 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 I'm not surprised, but you know, the media's not doing it. John McCormick, the CBO attributes most of the loss of insurance coverage in the AHCA to elimination of individual mandate directly from it. At the outset, it's because some consumers would choose not to buy insurance if they're not penalized for lacking it. CBO and the Joint Committee on Taxation estimate in 2018, 14 million more people would be uninsured under the legislation than under the current law. Most of the increase would stem from repealing the penalties associated with an individual mandate. That's all it is. You're taking away the reason you have to do it. But once again, the Dems put that in there so that there'd be so much outrage that they could get what they want, which is social me- socialized medicine. They want single payer, which is horrible. It's not a Republican ideal. It's just fucking horrible. It doesn't work in Canada. It doesn't work in London. It doesn't work anywhere. People are still coming into ours. And as I've said a billion times on the show, I live socialized medicine. That is my medicine. It's fucking horrible. I mean, just horrible. And I I just don't know all the fucking outrage. Warren, that opposing the Republican health care bill wasn't enough and Democrat Party should start running on a new national singer player plan. Exactly what I said. And I had a soundbite for Pelosi. I'm not going to play it. She went biblical. She literally went bit biblical that a good Christian, a good Christian wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do it. And the way she did it was typical lib speak from somebody from San Francisco. It literally was. They talk about their religion all the time. Who the fuck is talking about their religion? I don't hear any Dems, to, Republicans talking about religion. I talk about, I hear Dems talking about their religion, the dogma of identity politics. I hear that all the time. But I don't hear conservatives talking about religion. Don't see it on the TV. And I would. Because all we see is anti-Republican shit. It would be there all the time. So to other stuff. Did the FBI retaliate against Michael Flynn by launching the Russian probe? A lot of articles coming out lately that it looks like that's what they did. He When he went in and to break it down... Uh, 
Flynn's intervention on behalf of Supervisory Special Agent Robert Gates was highly unusual and included a letter in 2014 on his official Pentagon stationery, a public interview in 2015 supporting Gritz' case, and an offer to testify on her behalf. His offer put him in a hostile witness in a case against McCabe, who was soaring through the Bureau's leadership ranks. The FBI sought to block Flynn's support for the agent, asking a federal administration law judge in May to keep Flynn and others becoming a witness in her EEOC case. Memos obtained by Circus Show. Two years later, the FBI opens inquiry in Flynn. What what does that mean? I'm not saying there might not be smoke in the Flynn case, but it was politics. It's all politics. Here's to somebody that shouldn't be in politics. Cosmo, seven women who could be our first female president. When Hillary Clinton won the election on November 8, 2016, it was certain she was going to win. She would take the stage at New York's City Javits Center, a building made entirely glass, as she celebrated blah, blah. The confetti never fell, of course. Her supporters, especially women, were crushed that she lost. America would not have a woman president yet. But women might not have to wait too much longer. Unlike past elections, where one woman competed in the primaries against a gaggle of men, this time there's a slew of eminently qualified women waiting to run. Here are seven for 2020, Kristen Gillibrand, Tony Reed's right, already talked about it like six months ago, Camelia Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Kobachar, Tammy Duckworth, Cheryl Sandberg, and Oprah, because she's Oprah. But not a single Republican made their list. Not one made their list. Per SOP. But a meme is going around, and that's why I'm covering it. Should you be taking political advice from a magazine that also ran an article? Five real reasons guys want to try anal sex. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not taking political advice from men's health. I'm not doing that. Another ESPN reporter, McHenry, says Liberal Network fired her because she's a conservative. McHenry's complaint about her ex-employer in a time when ESPN is stubbornly defending its liberal brand. With him wrote, the sports reporter, who was one of the approximately 100 employees ESPN let go in April, suggested a since-deleted Twitter comment. Monday, she knows why the World Life Leaders Center packing. She's a conservative at what she apparently sees as a liberal network. In the tweet McHenry wrote, I mean, I've been openly conservative. I look And look how that ended up. Her tweets, love the nomination of Judge Neil Gorch. Really appreciate the feedback, guys. Everyone has a voice, even if it's more conservative motivation to keep writing. That doesn't surprise me, though. That, that's ESPN. Guys like Greeny and Golick can be successful, and they're both super liberals. An interesting stat, 111 terminally ill patients took their own life in the first six months of the California Right to Die Law. Uh, as I've talked on the show, I'm kind of torn on this. I do believe somebody should have the right to do that, but that's, pr- that's a lot. It's higher than Oregon. Obama's under fire for left for never-ending, sizzling, ultra-luxury vacations. Huge articles all over the place. Literally... This dude's doing the the Rich and Famous tour right now. He is seriously on the Rich and Famous tour. Doing stuff that costs millions. And to our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful 
rancor in our country. I'm going to keep doing this. Just like terrorism, illegal immigration, and crazy liberals. Florida man arrested for threatening to kill Republican state representative Joe Diaz. As a Republican member of the Florida House of Representatives, Sunday someone left a death threat on his Facebook page. And with the recent shootings of Republican lawmakers in mind, Diaz reported the threat. From NBC Miami, I'll kill your ass and you better not show up to the next rec meeting, the Post read. According to an arrest report, St. Felix was later arrested at his home after his arrest. St. St. Felix, I guess St. The minute he made the threat and said he's fed up with the Republican Party. The rec meeting mentioned, and the threat was actually a reference to the 2017 Lincoln Day Dinner, a Republican fundraiser. Kellyanne Conway was supposed to be there. That's what, 31 now? Sorry, Patrick, nobody's died yet. You'll get what you want eventually. They've also broken down New York, folks, and New York is bad. Empire State lost 1,000 restaurants last year, and the number of jobs as cooks, servers, and dishwashers grew by anemic 1.4%. That's a far cry from the 4.4% annual growth the state eateries enjoyed from 2010 to 2015. Employment growth of fast food restaurants in the city, which are required to pay $12 an hour, or $1 more than other employers, shriveled to 3.4% last year compared to 7% growth 2010-2015. The spiral has continued in 2017, which has generated just 2% growth through May. And that is another state for the fight for 15. It's there. It's insane. It won't stop. And it's just basic economics. Our last close the loop and we're off to the Supreme Court. Someone else found registering dead Democrats to vote. The tradition of sending out staffers to volunteers to register voters every year is practiced by both parties and it's a key portion of the get out the vote effort. Unfortunately, the process is complicated in some states and candidates can get themselves in trouble if it's not monitored carefully. That's particularly true when one of your eager beavers decides to get a little creative when attempting to drive up the score as high as possible. That was clearly the case in Virginia where one enterprising young man was discovered to be submitting names of people whose ability to make the polls was in question owing to the fact that they were dead in a cemetery. The man paid to register Virginia voters prior to the 2016 presidential election will spend at least 100 days in prison for submitting the names of deceased individuals to the registrar's office. James Madison University student Andrew J. Spiles, 21, of Harrisonburg, pled guilty Monday in United States District Court for the Western District of Virginia as part of a plea agreement. Spiels agreed to prison sentence of 100 to 120 days. The only reason why anybody found out about it is that a sitting judge saw his dad's name there. But you never saw that on the news, did you? We didn't cover that. Because voter ID ID is racist. You're a freaking racist if you make somebody do voter ID. It's absolutely impossible to do voter fraud in this country. Yet we've shown Project Veritas showing they actually do do it. They brag about it. Bussing people district to district to district. 
So before we get into the Supreme Court, I wanted to show some of the outrage and some facts before we get into it. It was interesting to use this. Dean Obadea, right-wing Supreme Court allows Trump's bigoted Muslim ban to go in effect for six Muslim countries. Supreme Court just legalized bigotry. Hale Razor handled them for us. It was a unanimous vote. So Sotomayor, Kagan, and RBG are right-wing. Or perhaps your knowledge of law is equal to your knowledge of comedy. He even got in a huge argument with some radio station that told him he was an idiot. And the guy's response was pretty much, I'm in a big market, you're in a little... His way was, yeah, I'm stressed because I host a national radio show. I wish I had a little show in one tiny market like you. I could relax more. Hashtag loser. So whoever this Obadiah dude is, you're a dick. So MSDNC, of course, is bringing on any Democrat to talk about this stuff. And for those that are doing the show a long time, you know this is my this is my pet rock. I I just liberal bias is crazy. So Andrea the Joker Mitchell had Senator Maisie Hirano from Hawaii on near the end of a lengthy interview with her. She asked, "And Senator, as a member of the Judiciary Committee, I wanted to ask you about the Supreme Court decision today that there is at least a partial reinstatement of the travel ban for people from six predominantly Muslim countries." That in itself is bias. That's what liberals say. Not what anchors say. But that's what our anchors say because they're liberals. So she replied, and by the way, you know, Neil Gorsuch, who I did not support as a Supreme Court justice, he's joined two of the most conservative justice, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, on the court to take the position that an entire injunction should have been lifted. This is like the three horsemen of the apocalypse, and they're waiting for the fourth one to come along so that they can go on their trend toward what I call extremism. Neil Gorsuch is right in there with Thomas and Alito and wanting to pretty much tell the president, you just go right ahead and impose a ban. The Republicans did a lot of kind of politically incorrect things to get to this moment. And now you see Neil Gorsuch sitting on the Supreme Court making really, really important decisions. She further worried. So what we're seeing is really the rights idea. The Republican ideals really being fortified by the Supreme Court that they handpicked. And then they played the long game to get. Hmm. That's pretty funny. Because without Kagan and Sotomayor... With Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you never would have got, and Roberts, by the way, who was a Bush appointee, you never would have got gay marriage. Because you played the long game. All those Supreme Court justices refused to retire during Bush because they were libs. So a lot of people talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She ain't retiring. They're going to wheel her in on a, in a fucking oxygen, oxygen fucking tank. She'll be in the bubble like the bubble boy. She ain't going under Trump. I guarantee it. Kennedy's one that might. So it was partially reinstated uh, from uh, WAPO. The Supreme Court has allowed the Trump administration to go forward with a limited version of its ban and travel for six mostly Muslim countries. A victory for Trump. It's going to take 72 days to do it. He wants 90 days. And if they would just let it go, it would have already been over. But basically the limitation is... You have to have real work here, or you have to have family here. That's it. Heat Street has a great article. Heat Street, boom, SCOTUS reinstates travel ban, mostly. We'll hear a case in fall. 
It's been a long day of Supreme Court, folks, so buckle yourself in. One of the most hotly debated decisions we're waiting for was dealt with Trump's widely contested travel ban. Yes, at this point, I'm just saying travel ban for convenience. Call it what you like. Originally slated to take effect shortly after Trump's inauguration, two versions of the order have been put forward and then summarily halted by both the Fourth and Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, both uber, uber liberal circuit courts. SCOTUS found at least five members, and I'm sure you can guess which ones, to disagree with the lower court and have largely reinstated the ban while agreeing to hear the case in full in the fall. This wasn't a blanket acceptance of the order because there are few exceptions to the ban being specified. Primarily, if an immigrant from any of the six nations has a credible claim of bona fide blood or legal relationship with someone in the United States that will not be subject to the ban, the legal relationship portion of the exception doesn't just apply to marriage. One example given is that a person who already has an employment agreement in place allowing them to legally work here for work is which case they may be exempted for the ban also. Having adopted this view of the equities, the court approves injunctions that can cover not just respondents but parties similarly situated to them. That is, people or entities in the United States who have a relationship with foreign nationals abroad and those rights may be affected if those foreign nationals are excluded. One point which may be argued later in the question of when and how the Supreme Court, being the judicial branch, can actually modify or rewrite an order from the executive branch. They already did it. They did it for the Affordable Care Act and rewrote the fucking law. That's against the Constitution. They rewrote the law for gay marriage, which was a state's right. So we already have precedents with our Supreme Court. It's not the Supreme Court. It's not the judicial branch anymore. They believe they have the right to overrule all sorts of laws based on their partisanship. And that's for the right and the left. But if you want to strictly be constitutionalist, they have to send it back and say, okay, we're covering it, but you need to write the law. They didn't do that in the Affordable Care Act. They wrote the taxes in for them, which was crazy. Only the liberal media thought it wasn't because they were happy. Certainly they can accept it or shoot it down on constitutional grounds, but can they add in new parts and subtract others? Seems a bit dodgy, but that's a debate to be had in the future. The case we heard this fall was expected, uh, will expect a final resolution before Christmas. For the time being, this is obviously a major victory for the president. Still, I'm left with a couple of nagging questions, which I brought up in the past, primarily for those fighting against this order. First and foremost, are we really debating the power of the president to make such decisions regarding access to our borders and national security? It seems that this was the case in lower courts and has now been rejected at the top level. Second, and perhaps the, this comes off as a bit too cynical, but let's keep in mind when this order came out originally in the scope of it, it was supposed to be a six-month ban. If you just let it go, it would have expired. But as things stand, the clock has, has been reset. As for the White House, six-month ban was supposed for you, the president to figure it out. Have you figured it out is his question. Good question. But once again, constitutionally, the lower courts and the media, you know, didn't cover it. They're covering the liberal angle of, oh, help us, Lord, this Republican Supreme Court. It could be a fully Republican Supreme Court. We're going to go to hell. The four horsemen of the apocalypse is going to be there. Ah! I mean, I really think they need to come up with a acting award for politicians. You know, the Golden Globes could be changed to the Golden Capital. And, and you get it. They're out of theatrics. You know, like, like I said in the last pocket, 100,000 people are going to die under the American Health Care Reform Act, whatever the fuck they're calling it. But <clears throat> what they should be talking about is the fact that these 
lower courts were not applying the law. When you're applying it on rhetoric and not constitutionality, that is not a precedence. They set a precedence for circuit courts now that, once again, as I keep repeating myself, when a Democratic president's in there, some Republicans going to take advantage of it. They're going to push back and get a conservative. And that's what the judicial system is supposed to be doing. The judicial system is supposed to be adjudicating law, not based on partisanship. Kind of sad. Local news, as I kind of talked yesterday briefly, they're talking like this. Baltimore restaurant owner says 30 employees left due to ice crackdown. And with this ban, how are they going to run their businesses? And I once again say I-9 verify. If you're not I-9 verifying, you're illegal. Why are we not disciplining them? I know Nashville's about to go sanctuary and sanctuary cities, but how can a business have people working that aren't legal residents, don't have green cards? The ban doesn't apply to them. But that's that's a theatrics you'll see forever and ever. So, you already know, if you've been listening, I'm all for it. I don't think any president should be able to not have the right to do this. And for all those out there in the resistance, suck a bag of dicks. Suck them all. I know that's vulgar, but Barack Obama did this to Iraq for six months. You didn't say a fucking word. The media didn't even report it. You didn't care. You're idiots. Because, once again, you're setting the benchmark. You're just raising up the rancor and partisanship. And it's just never going to get good. It's going to get bad. The next one was the Arkansas birth certificate law. Unconstitutional following legalization of same-sex marriage. This is the one that really pissed me the fuck off. So let's break it down. On Monday ruled the Arkansas birth certificate law is unconstitutional because it runs afoul of the high court's 2015 opinion legalizing same-sex marriage. Two female same-sex couples petitioned the Supreme Court to review their case, which fought the Arkansas Department of Health Insurance issuance, excuse me, Let's say it in English. Arkansas Department of Health issuance of birth certificates bearing only the birth's mother name and not the female spouse. The health department's decision adhered to a provision of the Arkansas law, which was rejected by a trial court, but kept in place by Arkansas Supreme Court. On Monday, the high court reversed and remanded the Arkansas high court's judgment in a per curum opinion, meaning it was delivered on behalf of the entire court rather than signed by an individual justice writing the opinion. Justice Neil Gorch, however, issued a blistering dissent to the Supreme Court's decision that Justices Clarence Thomas and Alito both joined. In explanation, its decision to toss out the Arkansas birth certificate law, Supreme Court said Arkansas chose to make its birth certificates more than a mere marker of biological relationship. Arkansas did this by requiring the name of the birth mother's male spouse to appear on the birth certificates regardless of the male biological race relationship to the child, the court said. Since a child's birth certificate can play an important role in making medical decisions for a child or enrolling a child in school, the Supreme Court said same-sex parents lack the same rights afforded to opposition sex parents. The states use these certificates to give married parents a form of legal recognition that is not available to unmarried parents. Supreme Court said in Pavin versus Smith, having met that choice, Arkansas may not consist with Oberfeld, deny marriage, same-sex couple, the recognition. I'm not going to read the rest because it keeps on going through gay rights advocates saying people are still trying to fight the law and now we have equality and blah, 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 blah. Here's Tony's 
problem. This is the party that spends their whole time talking about science. I've heard my daughter talk, there's no God because it's not scientifically proven. Or she hasn't talked, I just read her diatribes. That's that, that's her pet rock. That Christians are bad. We talk about global warming and the effects of man on global warming or global cooling or climate change or whatever the fuck we're calling it this week. We talk always about science on the left and how science is so important. What about biology? This runs right along with the transgender craziness. Biologically, you're a male and to your penis and genitals, which would be your testicles, are no longer there. But in the PC identity politics world, I believe I'm a woman, I get to become a woman. I believe in God, but you say God doesn't exist. And now we're saying that two women can biologically identify a baby when only one of them is biologically related to the child. So we're fighting a birth certificate which has shit to do with anything because what should be done for purposes of legality is biologically... The woman should use a sperm donor that is anonymous so they do not want to have any biological relationship with the donor in this case because that's how they do it. They think of him as a donor, not as a man because men are bad, especially white men are very, very bad. Then they adopt the child so they legally have parental rights for the child regardless if you're married or not. If I... As a heterosexual man, have a child with my wife. I am biologically aligned with that child. But if my wife, say, didn't get a hysterectomy a couple years ago, and we want to have a child again, biologically, that would not be my child. If we knew used known sperm to do that, say I had a good friend, I want you to knock my wife up. This would never fucking happen, by the way, but if it ever did, biologically I'm not aligned with that kid. That's not my child. She had a child with somebody else's sperm. How biologically I do that? Now, I could be totally wrong. Maybe they do this with people that use biological. I don't know. I didn't research that deep to find out, you know, is this a heterosexual thing too? But a birth certificate is supposed to be bio, biology. These people had this child. And since two eggs are not a sperm and egg, and two sperms are not a sperm and egg, how in the fuck did you do this? Which always goes to my biggest thing about how could it be natural for two people of the same sex to naturally want to be together. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't care. You can be gay. I don't give a fuck. You can be transgender. Don't give a fuck. I don't care. But likening it to, you know, the argument always turns into, well, this is what you said about black people. Yeah, that was a stupid argument. Black people are born black. You're, but you're black. Just like I'm, I got blue eyes and I have brown hair and I'm white and I'm fat. That's all hereditary. We're born that way. Can't be born and procreate with the same sex. 
Biologically, it doesn't make sense. Regardless of wolves humping each other for dominance and the crazy shit all we see on the internet about penguins fuck each other and they're gay, whatever, that's not biologically normal. And that's what we just argued. Supreme Court just did it. And not only do they do it, they did it like it was unanimous when it wasn't unanimous. So where are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I'm asking? Because in that case, which the media is not covering, they're still covering the travel ban because that's xenophobic. Where is it? I can't find it. I'm here to tell you that is not a conservative response. Because biologically you can't do it. And I think it's just the craziest shit that the party of science goes for this gay transgender shit. And I just, okay, you guys are hypocrites. Just hypocrites. That would be like conservatives promoting everybody has to have anal sex when they're the religious party. Or those crazy laws, Puritan laws of the 1800s that we're all governed by. We all have to have missionary sex. And oral sex is illegal pretty much everywhere in the country. If you go back to the old laws that haven't been repealed, that's sodomy. But anyway, the other one, which I'll just do really quickly, was uh, West Virginia. Was it West Virginia? Missouri, I'm sorry. And basically, they passed a law that made people have to upgrade their playgrounds. So religious religious schools, everybody had to do it. And they did it, and they wanted the funds for it. But church and state can't do it, can't give you the money. And a 7-2 and two reading, and who did, who deferred? I bet it's Kagan and Sotomayor. Rubberized, the uh, Supreme Court ruled, sorry, it's not highlighted, da, 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 da. Lutheran, the exclusion of the Trinity, exclusion of the setting. Setting vote came from Ginsburg and Sotomayor. I got, I got 50 of them. Cause they, they, they see the church and state. They still believe that's church and state because they hate religion. So that's their thing. But basically they said that's taking it too far. That is not church and state. If you're doing a regulation and just for schools, you have to upgrade your rubber on your goddamn playgrounds. Why wouldn't a religious school get it too? You're, 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 you're making them do that. So you actually you're penalizing them for being religion, religious. So it was a really stupid thing. I understand the church estate's really big. That's why we're tearing crosses down everywhere, and you know liberal atheists just fucking hate anything religion. But that's just stupid. I get a drink. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so here's um, some responses from the media. This one's pretty summed up with highly, highly irresponsible USA Today totally blows headline on SCOTUS and same-sex marriage. This is why I do a podcast. The Supreme Court has agreed to reopen the national debate over same-sex marriage. That's actually what they said. Hear what it's about. The Supreme Court agreed Monday to reopen the national debate over same-sex marriage. The court will hear a challenge from Colorado Baker, 
who lost lower court battle over his refusal to create a wedding cake for a gay couple. Like a New Mexico photographer three years ago, the baker cited his religious beliefs. The case will be scheduled for the 2017 term that begins in October and most likely be heard later in the fall. The justices who upheld same-sex marriage nationwide landmark 2015 ruling apparently decided that laws banning discrimination based on sexual orientation do not mean that merchants' obligations to same-sex couples are baked in the cake. There was a florist and a couple other ones that pushed this. On the other hand, to James Essex, who directs gay rights issues for the American Civil Liberties Unions, if you go with bakery here, you've just shot this humongous hole through the nation's civil rights law. By agreeing to consider religious exemption, the court is threatening to reverse lower court. Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was believed to be considered retiring Monday, with a key vote once again, and he's been a good dude for gay rights, and this is totally a biased, biased article. But what is really being re-litigated is not gay marriage. It's religious beliefs. The fact that the LGBTQ co-sign a four group have made it their, their mantra to go after religious businesses and push their bullshit on them. That's why this went up to the courts. They are purposely still doing it. We proved on the show numerous times that's their thing. They go and find these to make everybody. And here, you know, I hate to go back into my own shit that I've talked about on the show, but being I have two estranged kids that are atheists, it's always always pushing religion on me and you're pushing religion on me and religion, religion, religion. Well, this is the gay mafia pushing their bullshit on somebody. And this needed to be litigated. When they blanketly overrode 37 states who had laws on the books, because marriage was a state right, not a federal right, and they took a shoehorn and twisted the fuck out of the 14th Amendment to say that this was just like blacks, you didn't litigate what are the religious protections. And what's going to happen with a more conservative court, so to speak, because now you have Gorsuch, this is what we should have been doing for Obamacare and gay marriage. You are forcing religious institutions to provide birth control pills. You're forcing religious institutions to provide birth or abortion pills. And now you're forcing religious entities to accept something they don't believe you violated their civil rights. But nobody wanted to talk about that because your civil rights don't mean shit to the media and it doesn't mean shit to the liberal cabal and the resistance. But that is what this is going to be. I'm almost 100% sure they're going to overrule it and they're going to fuck all these religious institutions and religious businesses But that's what happens when the Supreme Court overwrite law. They write law. That's what they did. You can argue all that. I'm not a constitutional scholar, but when you break it down, common sense rise. 37 states banned gay marriage. You just destroyed all 37 states. No law was written. It was just blanket. Everybody has to do it. But there's effects to it. And if you're really a civil libertarian, 
like the ACLU is supposed to be, you would see this. But even the ACLU, which is just a gigantic fucking liberal goat fuck, yeah, they're not doing it. They're not. So Reuters, Trump appointee Gorsuch takes far-right position on U.S. High Court. Did you see that with Kagan or Sotomayor? Remember, Kagan and Sotomayor were damn strategist lawyers. They worked for damn think tanks before they showed up on the court. Gorsuch, of course, wasn't that way. So, I thought that was a very telling, telling headline. Slate, of course. Neil Gorsuch is everything liberals feared and more. Huge article. Uh... This one is, this guy is an LGBTQ author. Um, I don't know why they have this fear that they're going to lose their, their right to be gay or, I don't know what. I, I just think it's theatrics. I just think all this is so theatrics on the left. I mean, the, the Supreme Court's not going to overrule itself. Gay marriage is done. I don't see why every article about this all because of the bakery. But it goes back to what I say. It's not about marriage. It was never about marriage. Every gay person I knew didn't give a fuck about getting married. They already had a marriage. They did their ceremony. And they were no different than anybody else on the planet. I don't need a fucking piece of paper from the state to justify my love. It was about pushing their morals, their norms on somebody else. You will be what I want you to be. You will believe what I believe. And that's what this is all about. Um, and then of course I always wanted to bring up we need to remember that Obama the guy who literally literally lit up the White House in gay colors but didn't light up things for police he didn't light them up for soldiers he didn't when you know when when bin Laden was killed there was nothing on the White House glowing for soldiers we didn't do anything the Democrats this week posted a picture of Obama waving off the plane. And it shows a rainbow in the sky, but his hands on the rainbow. Which basically what they're saying is, uh, he is the gay president. And I thought that was pretty funny. Simultaneously, since we're on the gay subject, because it just came up with all this crazy shit. This week at Mitch McConnell's house in Washington, there was a queer dance party. And uh, you can um, you can guess vulgarity ensued. And I don't give a fuck. Get your freak flag on. But you're the same people that bitch and moan when people are in the street with Bibles. Or talking about religion. If a bunch of religious people walked up to Nancy Pelosi's house and had megaphones. I mean, let's think about the abortion. We, we did that HBO show. Um, women's stories on abortion. Do you remember that? That was a fall of the show. It's like five, you know, maybe ten podcasts ago. That whole documentary was bashing Christians. It showed Christian zealots out there with their megaphone telling women they're going to go to hell. And they were zealots. There was the far, far, far spectrum of Christians. Most Christians who do not believe in gay marriage 
believe Jesus is teaching that, you know, who am I to judge? They don't go out and tell somebody they're a fucking sinner. They don't say any of that stuff. And I don't talk about religion, I'm cursing. But you can see what kind of Christian I am. I'm a believer. Never said I was devout. But when you really break it down, you know, it, it comes down to, that's horrible. Those are zealots. I'm going to post this picture on a blog. In fact, when I, when I release this on Facebook, I'm going to post this picture. This is zealotry that you would not accept. This kind of conduct with a guy in hot shorts, Daisy Dukes, twerking in front of the speaker or the Senate Majority Leader. If it was Nancy Pelosi, if it was Harry Reid's house, you would have a fucking fit. So I bring it up because you're all hypocrites. You expect everybody to believe your shit, but when anybody else has their opinion, you tell them to shut the fuck up, you call them a, a fucking homophobe and I just think you're super super hypocritical so we're going to go to a hard break now and we're going to listen to Lee Greenwood because this is the 4th of July show uh, and we're going to go into uh, PPFA so enjoy the intro it is once again celebrities pushing for you to make sure that we can keep aborting babies Just my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free But I won't forget the men today cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA from the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say Today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Yeah. 
day Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Sing us a song. You're the podcast man. Sing us a song tonight. Well, we're all in the mood for a melody. And you've got us feeling all right. Hi. Jennifer Lawrence. It's me, Brie Larson. I'm Amy Bryant. Allison Brie. Andrew Reynolds. Amy Poehler. Aubrey Plaza. Constance Wu. Corey Stein. Grace. Jack Antonoff. Jackie. Hey, Janet Mock. Jenny Slate. Hey, John Hamm. Debbie Mazar. Bud Apatow. Kate Walsh. Nina Dunham. Padma Lakshmi. Phoebe Robinson. Retta. Theresa Ahmed. Mike Jones. Suki Waterhouse. Elizabeth Moss. Zoe Kazan. Zoe Lister-Jones. You can find out who your senator is by going to USPP. What is it? What is it? <laughs> I need you to contact your United States Senator, and you can do that by visiting istandwithpp.org slash call. Istandwithpp, that's two p's, dot org slash call. And you're just going to enter your information, plug in your name, address, your phone number. We'll give you a call and connect you directly, directly to your Senator's office. You know when you have that feeling where you want to do something, but you're just like, uh, you don't have that feeling because it's so easy. And then once you have your senator's office on the line, you could say something a little bit like this. Hi, I'm Kate Walsh, and I live in New York City. I'm calling to ask my senators to vote no on any attempt to defund Planned Parenthood. Yes, vote no. I was acting. This is nothing more than a blatantly political attempt to do whatever it takes to attack women's helping rights and take health care away from the people who need it most. The right to decide our own bodily future is the most basic of all human rights. If Congress cuts funding to Planned Parenthood, millions of people be left without access to birth control, life-saving cancer screenings, and other basic care. Many of them will have nowhere else to go for the health care they need. I am expecting my Stand up for Planned Parenthood patients in our local communities and across the country. Those people are counting on those health centers. I stand with Planned Parenthood because they stand with me. I expect my senator to vote against any attempts to defund Planned Parenthood. Otherwise, you're a big dummy. <laughs> Thank you for your time. And then you hang up. See? That was easy. Please, make your voice heard. Call your senator or go to istandwithpp.org slash call. Good God, our, our, our culture is so jacked up. It's just so jacked up. And is this based on politics? No. Before I start this segment, for the about 8,000th time and 203 podcasts, I don't care if you get an abortion. I, like 76% of the country, don't want to pay for your abortion. And I, like about 70% of the country, don't think we should have abortions up to 22 weeks. Because it's it's no longer, you know, a, an amoeba or whatever the hell you want to call it. Because we've proven on the show, the cabal that you just heard talking about protect Planned Parenthood. 
um, literally gets mad if you call it a fetus. If anybody on their team says fetus, oh, they just they just freaking go crazy. But by the time we're done with this segment, the most important part about this, because once again, 10,000 times I have said, giving money to Planned Parenthood is like giving money to the NRA. They are not an organization that just takes care of female. They're a political entity. Democratic media, Democratic politicians are just, and they, they are tied to these people. They have so much power over them that they have to keep giving them money so they can get money. You know, we, we, a million dollars almost went to Ostaw from people that we give $500 million for. And once again, action funds, not, I mean, shut up. It's all one organization. The money's the same fucking, I don't care. This walled off is bullcrap. But by the time I'm done with this, the point is they don't need the money. They're a profitable entity. And by the time I'm done with this, they're a profitable entity that is breaking the law. So, Planned Parenthood performed 328,348 abortions from 2015 to 2016. 328,348 abortions. While the the group aborted 328,348 unborn babies, they only handed out 2,889 adoption referrals. Essentially, for every 114 abortions Planned Parenthood performed, the group gave the group gave one adoption referral. For those that haven't followed the show, once again, laws are being passed all over the place that adoption agencies have to put up abortion clinics, just like their nasty, nasty tobacco companies have to do advertisement that cancer will kill you. Every one of those cancer will kill you one is paid for by frickin' some huge tobacco company. So that's how political this is. How Democrats have passed so many goddamn laws that uh, an adoption agency has to go, well, there's another option. You can get an abortion. But Planned Parenthood doesn't have to do that. Because that's a crazy number. The group praised themselves in the report saying they had weathered storms but were still able to exist for 100 years. Planned Parenthood also gave out a shit ton of pregnancy tests, a shit ton of STI tests for men and women, and a shit ton of HIV. We'll, we'll hit it in the actual numbers. <clears throat> in 2015, nearly 650 Planned Parenthood health centers serviced 2.4 million women, men, and young people and were providing accurate health information and high-quality health care. Planned Parenthood was forced earlier this month to shut down at four clinics in Iowa after the governor there, Republican, signed a bill that allowed the state to give up Medicaid funds so the state could come up with its own family planning network. I'm going to read the Family Research Council, because you're never going to hear this. That's a anti-abortion entity. Just like you don't see pro-life marches, you only see pro-abortion marches. This is me being fair. Planned Parenthood Federation America is a primary provider of abortions in the U.S. According to PPFA's most recent report, 328,348 abortions in fiscal 2015, up 4,349 abortions since 2014. I'm going to keep saying those numbers because I really want you to think 328,000 
abortions. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 900 babies in a single day. A baby was aborted every 96 seconds in the U.S. by Planned Parenthood. According to a January 2017 Guttemacher Institute report, 926,200 abortions were committed in 2014. In 2014, Planned Parenthood aborted 323,994. Therefore, in 2014, Planned Parenthood was responsible for 35% of all abortions committed in the United States, an increase from 31.5% in 2011. You don't know the new numbers. Since 2011, Planned Parenthood has aborted 1,641,130 babies in four years. I want you to just let that sink in. Because that's not the most damning thing. That's just the abortions. 1,641,130. And as we proved on the show, 25% of those are people who have had multiple abortions. So, from their actual document, which you can get online, it's a PDF. Fighting back and moving forward section of the PDF, the attacks. In 2015, anti-abortion extremists began releasing heavily edited undercover video of Planned Parenthood officials and providers. The most important part about these numbers that I'm about to get to, they're still not reporting how much baby parts do they donate. That's not being reported. Anywhere in here, you don't find it. And how much revenue do they make off baby brains, baby lungs, baby eyeballs? Do we know? We should. Because we give five hundred, a half a billion dollars go to them. They say it's all bullshit. Following the attack by extremists, anti-women health politicians, the Congress voted nine times to block access to Planned Parenthood, and 24 states took legislative and administrative action to eliminate Planned Parenthood health centers from being eligible for reimbursement through Medicaid and or participating in Title X programs and other publicly funded health programs. When extreme politicians vowed to defund Planned Parenthood, they are talking about cutting off at least 1.5 million Planned Parenthood patients who rely on these programs. Once again, I think that's totally bullshit because they can go to a health clinic. <clears throat> this money could be better used. They talk in here about storytelling with a VR patient entering a center, technology with apps, engaging youth. Today's young people are the most diverse and progressive we've ever seen. We're preparing them to take the lead in the movement through PPFA Generation and Planned Parent Action Fund Generation Action Programs. So basically, as I read online from severely extreme anti-abortion people, this is like the young Nazis that they're teaching them. They have 300 campus groups. The key priorities are ensuring inclusivity in the reproductive health movement, particularly as related to trans people. I don't know how that's possible because if you're a trans person, you can't reproduce. But because this is such a liberal political organization, that's the first thing they say. Once again, going back to what I just ran, a biology. You chop your dick off, you can't have a baby. 
If you chop your vagina off and made a penis, you can't have a baby. You can't reproduce. You're sterilizing yourself. So why is that a priority for $500 million of taxpayer money? I don't know. Looks good on a PowerPoint slide, that's why. Fighting abortion stigma. What is the stigma in it? You chose not to use contraception. You're killing a fetus. You can't sugarcoat that. I know the left's really good at their cliche, women reproductive rights is killing a baby. But most of us common sense, normal Americans in the flyover states know that's killing a baby. Hey, do it. You're right. But hey, you can't make it pretty. You're sucking a baby through razor blades. Probably bad. Ending campus sexual assault. Working towards a progressive policy agenda for the local level up. Building people power. They didn't really describe what that means. We're confident that young people will drive and create the changes movement and country needs. Planned Parenthood is excited to help them along the way. Stats. The stats MSDNC and the media are pushing is the 3% stat. 3% of their business is actually a bold abortion, which is a bold-faced lie, which I'll prove in a second. That's all they got. And where did that stat come from? What is the slide MSDNC, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN put up? If you looked in the lower right corner, boys and girls, that's from Planned Parent Action Fund, a political arm of the Democratic Party, which is no different than the NRA. Not being a hypocrite, I'm part of the NRA, but I'm just saying they're the same thing. Exactly the same thing. A political entity that pushes a cause. So, they got their numbers. 615,499 PAP tests and breast exams. How many mammograms, boys and girls? Zero. There's no, this, this is straight out of their man, no mammograms performed. You've seen Cecil Richer on stage say that they provide mammograms that are so essential. If you pull this money, you won't be able to have a mammogram. And then she stopped saying it because it's a lie. Hillary said it. It's a lie. Obama said it. It's a lie. Biden said it. It's a lie. Pelosi said it. Reid said it. All of them say it. It's a lie. They don't have mammogram. 2,808,000 birth control information and service provided. 4,266,689 tests and treatments for sexually transmitted infections. 654,218 HIV tests conducted. 209,446 STIs diagnosed. Using formula developed by the Gutemeyer Institute, abortion services, 328,348, and adoption referrals, 2,899. The stat that stood out the most seven six seven eight three zero. 767,830 emergency contraception kits. 767,830 
emergency contraception kits. What is that? Emergency contraception, another another way, Planned Parenthood of supporting taxpayer-funded abortions. We've all heard about the common abortion advocate's plea. The number of abortions would decrease at the U.S. if only contraception and birth control were promoted. Well, this is not true. The January issue of Journal Contraception contained results of a 10-year study to acquire information about the use of contraceptive methods in order to reduce the number of abortions. The elective abortion rate from 5.52 to 11.49 per 100 women. In the 10 years period that contraception use increased about 60%, the abortion rate doubled. And the most dangerous ones are emergency contraception pills. These are commonly mistaken as birth control. But their abortive consequences are well known. They are used to prevent ovulation from occurring, but beside the fact that breakthrough ovulation commonly occurs, they have long-term health consequences. The most common emergency contraception pills are LO1 and Plan B. LO1 and Plan B. That is an abortion pill, plain and simple. Ella operates by employing the same chemical methods as RU486, a chemical abortifacient, and therefore has side effects associated with it. In extreme cases, it can even lead to serious health problems and death, and a woman's lifelong fertility may be affected. Plan B, the sister, the morning after pill, can take taken to prevent pregnancy for up to three days after unprotected intercourse or contraceptive failure. This emergency contraceptive pill is available to women age 16 or older without a prescription. It has several generic versions. That's an abortion to those who are religious. That's the same thing. In their latest report, 35% of Planned Parenthood services for contraception and 1,436,808 were emergency contraceptive kits. EC pills are just another way Planned Parenthood accounts for one in four abortions performed in the U.S. EC pills are also another way Planned Parenthood uses taxpayer funds for abortions. We're paying for that. For those in the pro-life community, that is an abortion pill. You and I pay for that. They've gone around. When the Hyde Amendment was put in place, there was no abortion pills. Now, there is abortion pills. That's how Planned Parenthood's doing it. So if you add up, there's 767,320 3,000, I said it 70 times, I can't remember anymore. Uh, doggone it, where the hell is the doggone number? I want to make sure my numbers are straight because I added it up, but I just want to re, re, restate the truth here. 328,348 abortions, and you couple that with the 767,000 Emergency contraception pills, which are just a fancy colloquial, just like women's reproductive health. 1,096,178 abortions, technically. 
That's how many abortions they did just in 2015 to 2016. 1,096,178 abortions. And all the while they were doing it, they made $1.5 billion. $1.5 billion. So this defunding of Planned Parenthood and taking the $500 million and putting it in health clinics that don't provide abortions would still mean that Planned Parenthood would make a, close to a billion dollars a year. Because remember, we're paying, so they say, for the STI and all that shit and those abortion pills which most religious institutions do not believe in. And once again, we're still paying for abortions. We're paying for abortions. This organization, which is no different than the NRA, is going around laws, has an iron fist over the media and Democratic politicians, and we're handing them $500 million dollars to funnel money back into Democratic campaigns through their action pack. And they're still breaking the law, harvesting baby parts, which they're not reporting, but they're doing it. They admitted they do it. And sell the tissue and making money off that. And they're handing out abortion pills that you and I did not authorize, that you and I may not believe in. And, and for those that are so staunchly on the Democratic side, think if we were given $500 million to a pro-life group. <clears throat> and within that, they were supposed to push people to other outlets other than keep the baby, suck it up. And money was not supposed to be going to them to help people get adoptions and things like that. But yet they were still doing it. How would you feel? Or the one that usually makes more sense. We gave $500 million every year to the National Rifle Association, which you say controls our country makes us not have common-sense gun laws, which is that nice colloquial that you came up with under the Obama administration. And even though it wasn't supposed to be used to procure weapons, we find out that they were getting pistols because the original law said you can't have rifles because there wasn't pistols. That's what we're doing here. It's hard for me to come up with an apple-and-apple comparison because no conservative group gets $500 million. Only Planned Parenthood does. Supposed to be providing health services. Supposedly, supposed to only be used for other than abortion. But they're doing abortion pills. A million of them with their abortion. A million babies, Planned Parenthood, terminated last year last year it's one year and what i don't understand especially with african-american politicians 
I will bet you a dollar and a cow's ass 40% of those are African American. Is that because I think African Americans are sluts? No, it's not what I'm saying. This isn't a Rush Limbaugh show. This is the Tony Reid show. Urban, inner city, young ladies, impoverished, sucked into the web that is Planned Parenthood. And anybody who wants to go out there and just find out, there's audio everywhere of how they push abortion. There's audio everywhere from people that used to be part of it and left and just said, Abby Johnson, just go to Abby Johnson. If you think I'm making it up and it's just a big Breibart, you know, alt-right extremist, it's just fact. It's all fact. Federal money should not be going for fucking abortion pills, but it is. It is. Federal money should not be going to a non-fucking profit, so to speak, or only a non-profit. That's where our money should be going is the non-profits. But we just proved $1.5 billion. That, that's just insane. So Matthew Dowd, pro-life isn't just about pro-birth. It's about taking care of the vulnerable in our communities at every step of life. That's supposed to be an independent, but he's not. Slate bemoans sinister app that helps pro-lifers pray for women considering abortion. Whole article. How horrible that is. Adding to the stigma. The stigma that goes with abortion. What stigma? I still don't understand that statement because all I see on Twitter is shout out your abortion day. Other ones. This is the site's Medusa. Huge liberal. Combat white supremacy with more abortions. In the article published by Medusa Magazine, a magazine whose website is headed by the slogan Feminist Revolution Now, columnist Nicole Valentine argued the concept of abortion is something that is radically misunderstood. The pro-choice argument that abortion is a constitutional right inherently implies that it is an idea rooted in white supremacist thought. Why? Because the Constitution was drafted and signed by white men for white men. This is why there are so many shootings and hate crimes in the United States, in her opinion. Somehow the author completely forgot that one of the Supreme Court justices aided Roe versus Wade decision was Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American justice on the Supreme Court. So, is abortion still a hate crime against women of color? If the decision made was by a relatively diverse Supreme Court? The author tried to say that women of color are not granted the same access to abortion facilities as white women are, since apparently the United States is based on men mentality that only the health of white women should be preserved. Valentine is here to tell us the hard facts. Women of color certainly do not have the absolute choice when it comes to their bodies. And goes on and on and says, you know, fight it by aborting and we should make sure we abort people and there should be lots of abortion. According to the CDC in 2013, black women had 35% of all the nation's abortion. Thank you. I actually didn't read that article, but I just said 30%, did I? <laughs> I was off by five, sorry. 35%. While blacks make up just 13.3% of the population. She ends with white women, it's time to do your part. Adopt colored children and prevent the conception of white children at all costs. 
since your forefathers started this parasitic culture by pressing anyone who's not white with their white father, submissive white mother, and most critically, white children. That's not racist. Not at all. Other one. See for yourself the pro-life message Twitter is suppressing. With the U.S. Senate just days away from voting on a redirect Planned Parenthood taxpayer funding to comprehensive health care providers, the legacy media continues to cheerlead for abortion. To do their part in helping Planned Parenthood keep nearly $500 million annually in taxpayer funding, many media organizations are actively suppressing evidence that abortion chain focus has been on increasing abortions while actually reducing what few women health services it does offer. Pro-life messages are often nowhere to be seen in the media. As long as the mainstream media continues to cover up a Planned Parenthood, huge number of American taxpayers will never know their hard-end dollars are funding an abortion chain that does more abortions than breast exams and commits over 320,000 abortions every year. The pro-life movement has been relying on social and digital media to get around the general, general media bias and take the evidence directly to the American people. But now the extreme pro-Planned Parenthood bias on Twitter is leading to censorship there and preventing millions of new people from being reached with pro-life message and real facts and the actual statistics behind Planned Parenthood's claims. While Planned Parenthood is allowed to advertise on Twitter, the social media company has suppressed live actions ads, calling our pro-life message offensive and inflammatory. What exactly is Twitter calling so offensive and inflammatory? Tweeting a picture of a child developing in the womb and saying that we believe in the right to life. Or tweeting ultrasound images like the ones that most expected moms hang on the refrigerator. Planned Parenthood is allowed to tweet that a woman has a right to an abortion, but when live action tweets what a baby has a right to life, Twitter considers that, considers that inflammatory and offensive. Planned Parenthood could tweet that people who don't want their taxes funding an abortion chain are extremists, but when live action tweets that Planned Parenthood should be defunded, Twitter considers that inflammatory. Planned Parenthood readily tweets about why it thinks women need Planned Parenthood, but when live action tweets that women don't need Planned Parenthood, Twitter says that's inflammatory. While it won't censor live action and Leela Rose tweets outright, Twitter has banned our ability to advertise our content until we delete all tweets that seems offensive, or in reality, all the tweets that offend Planned Parenthood. Twitter has told us the following. All of your tweets calling for end of taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood all of your tweets of our undercover investigation on Planned Parenthood, any ultrasound image of preborn. Twitter's effectively limited speech on the side of the issue it apparently rejects. This is disturbing behavior of a social media platform that has over 300 million active users a month and that presents itself as a forum for people to voice a variety of opinions and positions. Not surprising whatsoever. I've already said on the show... One time I accidentally tweeted something about abortion and it was about, I don't want to pay for an abortion. I was attacked for days by feminazis. But it is politics. Kristen Gillibrand said it before, and I'll say it again, funding for Planned Parenthood is not negotiable. Too many lives would be negatively impacted. Ken Vincent replied back, too many lives would be negatively impacted. Mm, abortion negatively impacts the lives of the unborn. Also, yeah, Except they had 734000 to donate to Ostoff. I'm pretty sure they could survive without government funding, i.e. selling baby parts. And Julia Woman, not really. 
Funding Planned Parenthood is a duplication of service tax-wise since we have public clinics and they do fundraisers. They don't need tax money. She nails it better than I could. Stay out of the semantics. Stay out of the birth control pills. Or not the, the abortion pills. Why? They have billions. They're making a billion dollars. They get so much funding. They sell t-shirts with confetti on it. Why do they need federal money? But right now, you got the handmail ta- handmaid's tail protest in the Capitol. All these are either Planned Parenthood agencies or reporters. Taylor Renz, handmaids are now circling an anti-GOP healthcare plan rally that move on, Soros, Planned Parenthood, and others are kicking off, NARAL, outside the Capitol with U.S. handmaids making a chilling statement about the GOP healthcare's cruel policies. Fern Whaling, communication director of Planned Parenthood Empire State Acts. The group behind the protest told the Hill that the bill would be the worst bill for women in generations to decimate women's health care. It's a health care bill with no health care. Dressing up as a handmaid gives a clear message to our administration, the Senate, about how seriously we take this decision and how radically it can affect our lives. The GOP health care bill would defund Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider, and they restate the number, 328,348 abortions this past year. The abortion giant claims women would lose essential health care if they are funded, defunded, despite Republican claims that they would reallocate the community. Planned Parenthood certainly is not spending like an organization terrified about losing money when it needed to provide women essential care. They lost 734000 And spent $38 in the last three election cycles to elect Democrats. Thirty-eight million. I mean, listen. If I made five hundred million dollars for free, yeah, I'd probably be upset too. And that's where we're at. But let's remember: Planned Parenthood does not provide prenatal care. Planned Parenthood does not do mammograms. Planned Parenthood is an abortion clinic. In a contraceptive clinic. They don't do family planning. They don't do anything. They either give you an abortion, give you the pill or an IUD, or give you 767,000 abortion pills. It's unbelievable. It's just fucking unbelievable. A million babies. A million. Fifty percent, fifty cents per abortion came from you and I. Not fifty cents. I guess it'd be five thousand. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not good at math. But five hundred million dollars. That money went to those abortion pills. I don't give a fuck what they say. So those are the facts, folks. All this is ref- irrefutable. So any of you feminazis that might pick this up in San Francisco, any of you resistance members like. Patrick and Page, that's their numbers. That's their numbers. Not Breitbart, not the Daily Caller, not the alt-right, not a religious group. That's their numbers. It's black and white. They make a shit ton of money, and they're boarding a million ninety-six thousand babies via abortion 
and abortion pills. They need to be defunded. I've never written a letter ever to my senator or congressman about anything other one veteran move when they're going to defund TRICARE and kick us over to Obamacare because Obamacare was failing. It was when it first rolled out. And they did it in the Pacific Northwest, the world blew up, and they stopped. But folks, I wrote a letter today about this. And it wasn't about abortions, it was about those pills. My taxpayer money is paying for somebody's abortion. Whether it be through a vacuum cleaner and razor blades, a harvesting, or a pill, it's an abortion. And I don't care if you get an abortion. I don't care if you have a hundred abortions. That's between you, your God, or that lack thereof God if you don't believe. But I won't pay for it. I don't want to pay for it. Because I don't believe in abortion. In the age of AIDS, if you can't use contraceptive, you're a fucking moron. And yes, people get pregnant because contraceptive fails. But I would bet you 75% of this abortions are hot and heavy, fucking didn't take the pill, didn't use a rubber, got knocked up, I'm poor, can't afford a baby, fuck it. My second kid was unexpected. We couldn't afford the baby. We didn't abort it. Because me and my wife are adults. And we realize every decision you make has consequences. You need to live with those consequences. Not just blame it on somebody else. In this case, white men. Sweet God. Let's do some fun now. Let's go to the 4th of July. sounds from the Nashville 4th of July celebration. Um, it is actually Grammy nominated, I guess, um, which surprised me. I didn't know that, but uh, we pretty much know it, but it is the history of the show to talk about our, our holidays. And this is from history.com. On July 4th, 1776, the 13 colonies claimed their independence from England, an event which eventually led to the formation of the United States. Each year on the July 4th, also known as Independence Day, Americans celebrate the historic event. 
Conflict between the colonies and England was already a year old when the colonies convened a Continental Congress in Philadelphia in the summer of 1776. In a June 7th session in the Pennsylvania State House, later Independence Hall, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented a resolution with the famous words, Resolved that these United Colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. Lee's words were the impetus for the drafting of the formal Declaration of Independence, although the resolution was not followed up on immediately. On June 11th, consideration of the resolution was postponed by a vote of seven colonies to five, with New York abstaining, which doesn't surprise me because New York is pretty fucked up now. However, a committee of five was appointed to draft a statement presenting to the world the colony's case for independence. Members of the committee included John Adams of Massachusetts, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, Robert R. Livingston of New York, and Thomas Jefferson of Virginia. The task of drafting the actual document fell on Jefferson. On July 1st, 1776, the Continental Congress reconvened, and on the following day, the Lee Resolution for Independence was adopted by 12 of the 13 colonies. New York, not voting. God, New York are fucked up. Discussion of Jefferson's Declaration of Independence resulted in some minor changes, but the spirit of the document was unchanged. The process of revision continued through all of July 3rd and the late afternoon July 4th when the Declaration was adopted officially. Of the 13 colonies, 9 voted in favor of the Declaration, 2, Pennsylvania and South Carolina, had voted no, Delaware was undecided, and New York abstained. John Hancock, President of the Continental Congress, signed the Declaration of Independence. It is said that John Hancock signed his name with a great flourish so England King George can read that without spectacles. Today, the original copy of the Declaration of the House National Archives, Washington, D.C., July 4th, has been designated a national holiday to commemorate the day the United States laid down its claim to be a free and independent nation. Everybody has their holidays. This one was always my favorite. Forever. When I had kids, that I would do big explosions and do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, it, it, I don't know, it was just America. It was just so awesome and blowing stuff up and putting bunting all over the front of the house. And, you know, I don't do as much anymore. Um, I don't stay up late. We don't do fireworks. It's kind of sad. We, we barbecue and we'll watch a fireworks show from like Washington, D.C. that's on the show or um, usually the National Mall. I watch that one. It's pretty patriotic. You, you have some pop stuff, but it's not like the stuff on TV with New York and Katy Perry and all that shit. I don't want to watch that. Um, overseas, I remember 4th of July in Korea, 4th of July in Korea, 4th of July in Afghanistan. Those seem pretty patriotic, too, because I was serving on what I like to call uh, Freedom's Frontier. Um, I think... It, it was just a great holiday, and I still think it is. And I'm still proud of my country. I fly the flag. Um, now I, I put my flag pole up on the 4th and uh, put the flag up, and then I take it back down. I don't keep the flag up all the time. Uh, when I came back from uh, Korea, that was the first thing I – or not Korea, I'm sorry. Afghanistan was the first thing I did. I sat out there, dug underneath my sidewalk, took like three hours of the pole to run hard line um, in a pipe, actual uh, – you know, I did a conduit and ran electric wire to the base of my 30-foot flagpole. It was one of the first things I wanted to do, so I did it. 
And I flew that forever, but it got to a point where, you know, I don't think I was respecting the flag. Uh, sometimes lights would burn out, and then I got backup lights. And, you know, storm flags are pretty expensive. That's what you're supposed to fly, and some of the storms would come in. Um, I'd be out of town. I'd come back. The flag was ratty, and it just didn't seem right. So I took the flagpole down. I put it on the front of the house uh, for holidays, but I don't fly it uh, 24-7 anymore. But it's just a great holiday. I think it's a very patriotic one. Um, the sounds you heard was Nashville. It is Grammy-nominated artist Chris Young will be headlining this year's. It's in Riverfront Park with stage on Broadway. The Nashville Convention and Visitor Corps announced today. Let Freedom Sing. And they have a big um, video. It's going to play, but it's, it's just music. It doesn't really talk about it. Uh, it'll be by Dr. Pepper Cherry is a free family-friendly event that showcased the Grammy-winning Nashville Symphony and the largest fireworks show in the country. Young is a multi-platinum uh, recording artist from nearby Murfreesboro, Tennessee, with, with nine number one singles, including his recent ACM, CMA, and Grammy-nominated duet, Thank You, Blah, 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 or Think of You. Uh, it is a huge thing, and, and it is national uh, renowned now. Um, huge. There, there is just a shit ton of people. And it got so big that... Back in the day, we could watch it on local TV, like the NBC station out of uh, Nashville, WSMV, would actually show it live. It was so exciting. We would sit in the living room and watch it, and then we'd go out and do our fireworks. And then it got so big, they took it off. Um, so I've never gone to Nashville, but if you ever want to come uh, do it before Megan Barry turns it into a sanctuary city, <laughs> add in last podcast on that one. Um, get in there. It's a great show. It's well worth it. You can get in most of the hotels, and as long as you have the right side, you can literally just watch out your window and avoid the crowds. But it's a fantastic place to come watch uh, the 4th of July fireworks. I myself will leave this Saturday, and Saturday afternoon and night, I will go to the following event. Well, we're at the Smithfield Fiddlers Jamboree and Crafts Festival. Now, if you love that old-time Appalachian-style bluegrass music and dance, let me tell you, this is the place to be. And we do, but don't forget the shopping and the food. Well, we're at the booth of Mr. John Adams, better known as... The Broom Man. And we finally found an instrument that Shane can play. Hey! What do you think? This way? Maybe this way? That way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at DeKalb Community Hospital to combine the jamboree, their good heart, and a charitable cause. We are here, and we're going to get us some free pink lemonade in honor of breast cancer awareness, and they're also doing free mammograms. This is awesome. Christian Camp booth, and looks like they got gumbo, gumbo, got a lot of gumbo, 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 I just like to say gumbo. So, what's going to go with my gumbo? Uh, let's see here. Oh, I think I'm going to get me some crazy taters. Fried green tomatoes? Uh, how about a deep fried Twinkie? Oh, I'm from the South. I want a deep fried moon pie. Oh, let's go
Here we are with the Boy Scout. Well, if you've ever been in need for a jellyfish sculpture, we have found the place for you. Without a doubt, we're at the best festival in the entire world, and we're right here under the shade trees with all of our shade tree pickers. We, we love coming down here, oh, and it's just, uh, it's my favorite place to come. We're still picking and grinning under the trees. And who knew Rod Stewart was going to be here today playing bluegrass? I'm signing autographs after the show. Let's hear it, guys. Well, I went down old El Paso, Cowboy style, El Cinco Rico. Gone out of the world. All right, Shan, the question is, who's got the best smoked turkey legs at the Fiddler's Jamboree? Fifth Lions Club. Woo-hoo. <laughs> And we have one of my favorite booths at the Jamboree. We have St. Gregory's, home of the best, Boston Bud. The Jamboree's just not the Jamboree without dancers. It has been a fantastic day today at the Jamboree. I don't know when I've had so much fun. Well, I'm coming back tomorrow. Oh, me too. <laughs> more food, more fun, more shopping. Oh, so much to do, and I'm, I'm hoping to learn to clog before it's all over. Well, before we leave, we got to say, you know what the slogan is around here, and that we understand for sure. Where picking's an option and grinning's a given. I, of course, do not listen to country music, but I love bluegrass. I know that there's not much of a difference, but something about bluegrass, it's in my soul now, and it's in my soul because it's Smith Phil Jamboree. Those have been the show forever. Last year, I already did this segment. Just fast forward to get out of this, but folks, it was awesome. First time we went was about four, three years ago. Showed up. You got... Like the Appalachian dancing, mandolin, fiddle, guitar, old man dancing. This just is the coolest thing. It's a gorgeous little town, uh, southeast from Nashville. Uh, we will head out and go junking, um, and head out by Springfield, Tennessee is usually where we start out. And we'll hit a couple antique malls and places like that. We'll show up. You get a park right close to it. You walk through booths. I'm getting a twang. Sorry. It happens whenever I talk about Smithville Jamboree. But we watched it for years on the PBS channel out of Cookville. And we have two, Cookville and Nashville. And we would watch this, and it was just so Americana. And in the evening, they had the finals um, from all these events. Square dancing, um, <clears throat> bluegrass band. I mean, it, it covers the gamut. 
So, from their website, the festival held annually on Friday and Saturday near the 4th of July. This year it is uh, the 30th and the 1st of July. Since its beginning in 1972, the old-time Smithville Fiddler Jamboree and Craft Festival has grown into a major event, drawing hundreds of musicians and craft people as well as many thousands of spectators from throughout the world. The festival began a small-town event as a way to celebrate the Independence Holiday, just as generations before had done it on the Court Square. It continues tradition today of throwback to days gone by, paying homage to the music and our art of our ancestors, reminding us of the simple pleasures that held that came from gathering together, enjoying the pure, unadulterated sound of live Appalachian music. The energy of these timeless bluegrass tunes can't be denied as they ring through the streets and bounce off downtown buildings of Smithville, population 4,305. The small southern town is friendly, and it gets a proud welcome to visitors and swells in population many times over each July. You're specially invited to come and experience this unforgettable event, pursue the wide varieties of craft boots, grab a barbecue sandwich or a corn dog, ice-cold lemonade, find a seat near the stage, and sit back and enjoy one of the best free shows around. We guarantee your toes will be a tapping in no time. And it's true. It, it is just a fun event. I, I, we, we've gone, like I said, three straight years. This will be our fourth. We just love it. Um, so to show you the simple thing, there's a first, second, third prize. Uh, this is all sponsored like by electrical co-op and businesses. And Saturday, the national championship begins. That's when we'll be there. Um, you're going to have junior old-time Appalachian flatfoot dance. Okay, that's actually what I meant, old man dancing. <laughs> then you got senior old-time buck dancing, clogging, uh, dobo guitar, which I just love the dobro. Oh, God, I love mandolin, banjo, flat-top guitar, fiddle. And then they get into the actual um, square dancing is the last thing that they go through. And then they do the Smithfield Jamboree fiddle-off. And they get the Barry C. Williams Memorial Trophy. Um, it It's pretty good. I mean, you're going to hear some really good music. I mean, uh, granted, during the day you're going to hear multiple multiple songs, you know, over and over. They play a lot of them play the same stuff, but it is really enjoyable. And the first year we went, we saw this little kid. And then we saw a sister. And he whooped ass in every damn instrument, and he's a recording artist right now. His name's Gurry Peters. His sister's Uma, and they live in uh, Nashville. These award-winning multi-instrumentalists have been electrifying audience with a refreshing, soulful blend of old-time folk and roots music. Although young in age, their musicianship and vocal harmonies showcase a level of creativity and originality well beyond their years. Their music- musicianship has attracted the attention of roots music star Rihanna Giddens, legendary banjo greats Abigail Washburn and Bella Fleck, mandolin virtuoso Sierra Hole, claw hammer specialist Leonard Podak and bluegrass musician Frank Solvin. Um, <clears throat> I doubt he's playing. I think he's getting kind of older now. But as we head out of this segment and go into Everybody Lies, it'll be just a short segment about a book. Um, here is Gurry with his song. He's been recorded. Um, I don't know his actual age right now. I think he's like 13. He's a young kid. 
Um, but this song is called Brilliance, and um, I have his album on my phone and on the HDD in the Jeep. And uh, kids, just amazing. This is this is a true gift um, that was born in born in him. He's just a great musician. So enjoy. I was toe-tapping through that break. Back in the day, and once again, those who didn't hear the last podcast, or, yeah, it was the last podcast, my legend, John Gibson, it goes off the air this Friday, and I will not listen. I want to listen in podcast form, and I will be listening to him on the way to Smithville, actually. But he did a segment called The Book Report. It wasn't. It was a book review. And it was something he wanted to do. He's a big reader. Um, he would like bring authors on, buy their book on there and push their books. And he's written books. I bought one of his books. I think he's done two. And as he jokes on his show, I'm one of the few people that did buy it. Um, but I wanted to cover this one. I had heard about it a while back. <clears throat> I've never personally read it. I've just read reviews. It's a very liberal interpretation of statistics off Google. And it was done by Seth Stevenson Davidowitz, Davidowitz, whatever, hyphen name, douchebag. And it's called uh, Everybody Lies. Sent me his new book on learning. I'm not going to say his name again because I'm already fucking it up. I'm learning from data. And it's sort of about always the case for this sort of book. I'm a natural reviewer, but I'm not really the intended audience. That's why I gave Dan Ariel's book to Julie Simon Thomas to review. I thought her perspective would be more relevant than mine for the potential reader. I took the new book by Stephen Devetowitz and passed it along to someone else, a demanding reader who I thought might like it, and he did. He kept coming to me with new thought-provoking tidbits that he'd found in it. So that's a pretty solid endorsement. I couldn't convince him to write a review, so you'll have to take my word that he liked it. The thing I found most appealing about the book was that in addition to addressing interesting questions, Stevens-Devetowitz, whatever, Kept pulling a new source of data, and he's pretty good about avoiding Freakonomics, Galdwell, Ted-style hype. One reason for this might be that Stephen Davidowitz does not set himself up as a hero of the book. If this book has a hero, it's the data. Okay, don't get me wrong. We shouldn't worship the data. Crap data will give you crap conclusions. For example, search this blog for North Carolina, North Korea, democracy, or human development index, or implicit association tests, or fat arms, and voting, or... And even good data can require a lot of processing to be useful. Search on Xbox survey. Measurement is important and statistical adjustment is important, but we can learn a lot from data if we're willing to do the work. And there were a few places where I felt he went beyond the data. That's fine. I have no problem with speculation. The challenge is just to distinguish different levels of certainty so the reader won't get lost. I'll have to take a skeptical perspective of my writing, especially here on the blog. 
He has much uh, more of an open, even, boosterous tone, or I should say skeptical about people's stated motivations, but positive on big data research. I think this is positive tone is just fine. I have to express doubt that that's not the only possible way to go. Indeed, as J.K. Chesterton could well have said, extreme skepticism is a form of credulity. The only place why I felt that Stevenson, Dash, whatever, went consistently too far was in his treatment of lying, perhaps because to the extent of the book as a general substantive theme, it is in the title, the claim that everybody lies, and by extension we should trust what people do, not what they say. I have mixed feelings about this perspective. On one hand, sure, talk is cheap, deeds are what counts. From one direction, as a survey research, I have the impression that in many settings, people really do give sincere responses, and often the best way to find something out about someone is just ask. That's not true. Gay marriage makes that not true. Voting for Trump makes it not true. That's why all the polls are off. In contrast, tricks like randomized response surveys, list experiments, and implicit racist tests can have a lot of sort of problems. I'm not such a fan of psychology paradigms of trying to learn from people by tricking them into revealing their true selves. From the other direction, deeds, a lot of the behavior that are easy to measure, are, in a sense, as much talk as action. I'm thinking of Google searches, for example, and even certain purchases which might have expressed value. To get to specifics, at one point in his book, he writes, it is certainly possible that lying played a role in the failure of the polls to predict Donald Trump's victory. I don't think so. I do. For a discussion of the issue, see the final paragraph, section 5 of this paper, blah, blah, blah. Now, not an absolute to this point, indeed, nearly the very end of Everybody Lies is a charming example. Jordan Ellenberg, a mathematician at the University of Wisconsin, was curious about how many people actually finish books. He thought of an ingenious way to test it using big data. Amazon reports how many people quote various lines in a book. Ellenberg realized it could compare how frequently quotes were highlighted at the beginning of the book versus the end of the book. This would give a rough guide to the reader's propensity to make it to the end. By his measure, more than 90% of readers finished Don Tarlett's novel, The Goldfinch. In contrast, only about 7% made it through Nobel Prize economist Daniel Kahneman's magnus opus, Thinking Fast and Slow. hope this means they never got to the chapter on embodied cognition. Fewer than 3% this rough methodology estimated made it to the end of economist Thomas Pinckney's most discussed and praised capital in the 21st century. Cayman is a psychologist, not an economist, but you get the idea. Anyway, I conclude with this example for three reasons. It demonstrates a synergy between new data sources and research questions. Sometimes you start with the question and see what data are available to answer it, or other times you start with the data and see what questions you can answer. I actually don't know which came first in this example. Reading the story, you can think of ways the data might be answering the question in a biased way, and then you start thinking of ways to correct the bias. One thing that frustrated me with the review of our general interest book, Red State, Blue State, we was how many reviewers were clearly writing their reviews based on the first 15 pages of the book. Next time I realized I have to make those first 15 pages be more clear. Stephen Doazowitz has good stuff all the way to the end. As a reader, I appreciated he crammed his book with interesting material, even while knowing that reviewers won't notice it. That's good craftsmanship. I'll be discussing his book next Tuesday. So this was a pre-one. The only other one I could find on this book, and then the stats that I know of, is a liberal one. From Vox. Pervasive proof that America is full of racist and selfish people. What millions of Google searches reveal about our national psyche. 
Google is a digital truth serum. He told this dick in an interview. People tell Google things they don't tell possibly anybody else. Things they may not tell to a family member, friends, surveys, or doctors. He was working on a PhD in economics at Harvard when he became obsessed with Google Trends, a tool that tracks how frequently searches are made in given area over a given time period. He spent five years combing through this data. The idea was that you could get far better real-time information about what people are thinking by looking at Google than you could through polls. It turns out he was right. As a barometer of our national consciousness, Google is as accurate and predictable as it gets. In 2016, when the Republican primaries were just beginning, most pundits and pollsters did not believe Trump could win. After all, he insulted veterans, women's minority, everybody else. He was a xenophobe. It goes on for a whole paragraph, just dogging Trump and rushes in it. But what Davidovich saw clues in his Google research suggest Trump was far more serious than many supposed. Searches containing racist epitaphs and jokes were spiking across the country during Trump's primary run, and not merely in South, but in upstate New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, Virginia, Industrial, Michigan. All those had rural next to them. This is what they're trying to pin. He saw on Google trend data racially polarized electorate and one primed to respond to the ethno-nationalist rhetoric of Trump. There were other earlier signs on Obama's 08 election night. Davowitz found that one in every hundred Google searches that include the word Obama also included KKK or then the N-word. Searches for a racist website like Stormfront spiked. There was a darkness and hatred that was hidden in the traditional sources. Those searches are hard to reconcile with the society in which racism is a small factor. Racial attitudes are just one of the many interesting discoveries in his research. He also explores the disconnect between our social media lives and our actual lives between what we talk about publicly and what we think about privately. I spoke with him last week about the book and why he thinks Google Trends is the most important data set ever collected on the human psyche. I also asked him what it was most startling finding, which is that America's experienced a crisis of self-induced abortion in places where access to abortion clinics is sparse. Our lightly edited conversation follows. Throughout it, it's just everybody is a racist. Basically, what this book pulls up in the end is that a lot of racism, a lot of checks for political sight, they don't really debunk um, who it was. They're just saying those areas, all right? Um, one of the things, in some, the internet actually brings people of different political views together. The average liberal may spend her morning with her liberal husband and liberal kids, her afternoon with her liberal co-workers, her commuter surrounded by liberal bumper stickers, her evening with her liberal yoga classmate. When she comes home and pursues a few conservative comments on CNN or gets a Facebook link from her public and high school acquaintance, this may be her highest conservative exposure of the day. I probably never encounter white nationalists in my favorite coffee shop in Brooklyn. That's how all these articles are like. Every fucking one of them. But here's the reality that was the most interesting things I took for the snippets I wrote. It's bubble. It's bubble. In each area, he found bubble stuff. It was bubbles. Everybody's in their bubbles. They don't know anybody else. They never hear anything else. And that was more apt for liberals than conservatives. 
Every day on the internet, a conservative gets attacked for having an opinion, whereas liberals are the ones attacking on the internet. I mean, let's be honest. The internet has always been a liberal place. People say it's not. It's for the alt-right, KKK, and Nazi groups. That's bullshit. I go back to the beginning of fucking time in 2000 when I jumped on there and started political talking. Every chat room I went to, U.S. Politics Online was my first one after a local one went to bunk because they got sick of people cursing each other. Literally, it was a one to four conservative to liberal. There were four liberals on there. That's how I found out Talking Points Memo. That's how I found out Move On. That's how I found HuffPo, Democratic Underground. All these people live there. And in those places, which is not much different than today, if you go to Democratic Underground, you have to be a Democrat. The first time you post something conservative, you get blocked. That was me. So here's another one. I got eight things from the book. Some people use search engines as confessionals. They type complete sentences like, I am sad, or open-ended questions like, is my daughter ugly? People assume machines like Google will keep their secrets for sensitive topic, topics. Google may generate more honest data than surveys. There are many questions asked to Google that I'm sure people won't pose to librarian. Google searches for Obama as free compared to KKK. The prevalence of racist searches does not exhibit a north-south divide. It's east-west. As president of Harvard, Larry Summers spent quite a bit of time brainstorming with economics PhD students on how to beat the stock market using new data. And they came up empty-handed, or so they say. Anthony Weiner got rejected from Savant High School, missing the cutoff score in a mission test by one point. Some economists found that going to Stuvian conferred no meaning benefit to one's career at least. There are 6,000 searches on Google a year for how to kill your girlfriend, while there are 400 murders of girlfriends. Big data does not provide any insight that surveys can't at the aggregate level, so people slice and dice the data to examine micro-segments, which means they're analyzing a huge collection of small data sets. What does that mean? All the other articles I found about this book. Google, who we've proven on the show, was part of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Literally, one of their people was on the campaign and worked the big data. They only collect that. They're not collecting all the other stuff. I guarantee there'll never be a book and Google will never alert, uh, release how many kill Trump stuff's out there now. Like anybody who's got an Amazon Echo or fucking, what's it called? Uh, God, I can't remember. I gave it to my grandkids. I doubt they're using it. But the Echo, it was all liberal. But searching through all this shit, because all they ever talked about was everybody's racist. Others. India. Number one search, wife, breastfeeding, husband. That was the number one search in India. I have some Indian friends. I'm about to talk shit to them next time I see them. American. Wife is, is my husband crazy. Husband is my wife. No, I'm sorry. I fucked that all up. In America, wife's. Number one search is, is my husband gay? Husband, is my wife crazy? Porn is the biggest search, of course. But more importantly within that subset was women searching and watching rape fantasies more than any other porn. I had read studies that it was uh, lesbian porn was the number one search for females. But this data showed that it was actually rape fantasies. But 
Um, anyway, shitty review of a book because I have not finished it. I've started reading it, and I dug around for stuff. So I'm one of those losers that are trying to do a book review. And every one of these is what you just read. It's either about the data's bullshit, which was the first article, or everybody's goddamn racist. It's mostly white people. They're all fucking racist, and that's what this book proved. But this is a liberal dude writing a liberal book using liberal data, and I still propose, I don't think America's as racist as they keep saying, but I think it fits their mantra. Once again, got a whole cottage industry supported by the media that if all of a sudden we had to admit every race, gender, ethnicity, and religion is racist or prejudiced in some way, you wouldn't make money anymore. Even though that's a true statement. And we've covered it on the show once again. My most coveted statement on all these podcasts. We've covered it. But you're not going to do that. So I recommend everybody read it. Just if you want to. If you're conservative and you want to do argues. That is a perfect example of why I say Google, Apple, Windows, Microsoft, excuse me. All of them are liberal. The data you're going to get for them and from them is all liberal. So, of course, it's always going to be America is a horrible place. Going to go to a hard break. I met this guy one once, Whirly, with Do You Remember? And we're going to news, social media, nuggets. People say we don't need this war, but I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. Before you start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away? Have you forgotten when those towers fell, we had neighbors still inside? It took all the footage off my TV Said it's too disturbing for you and me It'll just breed anger That's what the experts say If it was up to me, I'd show it every day some say this country is just out looking for a fight. Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right. Have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away? 
Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. forgotten not <laughs> do you remember it's pretty horrible when i pick out my own music and i fuck it up military corner veterans with other than honorable discharges will be able to access veterans affairs emergency rooms for urgent medical care starting july 5th under new rules outlined by the department leaders of tuesday on tuesday the move is a culmination of months of review on how to handle the cases of vets who may have been improperly separated from the military due to undiagnosed or untreated problems like post-stress disorder uh, traumatic brain injuries or other mental illness. I think that's probably a good deal. And probably needed. There's probably a lot of guys. I met one the other day at my work, and by the end of him yelling at me, or not yelling, but arguing about a decision that was no longer an option to undo, uh, he literally said, well, my doctor said I shouldn't even be around people because I'm a disabled vet. I'm just staring at him like, why would you ever tell somebody that? But you know, who the hell knows? Half time I see people all the time trying to be, you know, the stolen valor fucks that they're disabled and they jump out of raised trucks and walk better than I do. So I never understood it. Navy SEAL soldiers claim they sustained career ending injuries during search for Bo Bergdahl. This is from June 23rd, 2017. Task and purpose. Corey Dixton. And that is not task and purpose. The stars and stripes. Let's get our head out of our ass. Focus. Focus. Okay, I'm good. 
Prosecutors want to present evidence that a soldier and a Navy SEAL suffered grievous injury on separate missions to find Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. If the accused deserters convicted later this year, recent court documents show a judge overseeing Bergdahl's case, uh, Jeffrey R. Nance, Colonel Type 1H, is expected to hear arguments about the admissibility of those injuries when Bergdahl returns to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. The 31-year-old court 31-year-old's court-martial is scheduled for October. This breaks down all of it. Um, I want to say there was like seven people killed searching for that piece of fucking, fucking shit that the Obama family hugged his Taliban-looking father. Do we remember that shit? Page. That's why I don't like Obama. It's hard as a vet who went to war and lost friends to see your president hug a fucker who is a deserter. I never saw him hug anybody else. Moving on, because I didn't take my blood pressure pills today. I can't take it. If I take it too late in the day, I'll pee all night, so i got to wait till tomorrow. Why America's mighty military doesn't always dominate the battlefield. Large article about how some of our weapon systems are no longer the best ever because they're long-ranged weapons. And now we're getting a more short-range fights. And it's very, very interesting uh, when you break this article down. Very long. Um, you can go to Task and Purpose for that one. Not Stars and Stripes, but Task and Purpose. And you can actually read it. Ranks of homeless veterans keep swelling in Los Angeles. The infamous Skid Row neighborhood of Los Angeles that Bailey now calls home has the largest concentration of homeless people in America. Many of them veterans with mental issues and battling addiction. Their plight has been at the center of the debate for decades in America that loves to glorify its heroes, with successive administrations vowing to tackle the problem, pledging millions of dollars in assistance, including housing. But despite some 3,500 veterans finding housing last year in Los Angeles, recently released statistics serve as a sobering reminder of the scale of the problem. According to a new count released in May, the number of homeless people in the Los Angeles area jumped by 23% in the last year to reach nearly 58,000. Of them, 5,000 are veteran, the highest number of homeless of any city in the country, and a 60% increase from the previous year. That's freaking horrible. It reminds me of World War I. Korea. Just fucking horrible. This is what happens when the Army puts a laser on an Apache attack helicopter. The United States Special Operations Command just tested a high-energy laser on the A-64 Apache attack helicopter, marking the first time such a weapon has been deployed aboard a rotary wing aircraft. According to press release from defense company Raytheon, the test was a complete success, providing a solid experimental evidence for the feasibility of high-resolution multi-band targeting sensor performance and beam comp- propagation, supportive of high-energy laser capability for the rotary wing attack mission. I said that. Woo! What the hell? Anyway, they show it hitting a tru- uh, truck, basically, and, wow, put a huge hole through it. Finally, as I do a pregnant pause, for those deployed that may be listening to this, God bless you on the uh, fourth, guys. I hope you at least don't have to have T-Rats or fucking MRE, and somehow, someway, they pull something out of their ass and get you a burger, or at least a goddamn dog, because you are the reason we are free to be able to celebrate this. So I want to give you that shout out. Ah, you like it? Now we got a background music. I didn't get any suggestions, so 
I think the circus really low works well for me. Ohio government website hacked by pro-Islamic state messages. Ten state websites affected, including the Ohio governors. Ohio Treasury blames radical Islam. New York town also hit. Websites of John Kasich and other state government agencies were hacked on Sunday with a post posting professing love for the jihadist group ISIS. And it said, you will be held accountable, Trump, you and all your people, for every drop of blood flowing in Muslim countries. I love the Islamic State. I love it when hellfire missiles kill pieces of shit like you. Sweet God. To the crazy, lobster wing over 20 pounds spotted. Wait for it. In the baggies check. Yeah, and Logan Luggage. They confiscated it. I, I want to put the picture on the blog, but dude, this thing is freaking huge and somebody threw it in the carry-on. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What is wrong with you? For the New Yorker, why couples who argue are actually happier. And it's a huge article that says that it's good for you. They end it with, um, don't run from disagreements, which will only make things worse. Try to stay with it and work it out calmly. Avoid going around in circles. Be fair. Don't say things you'll regret later because you were mad. Don't swear, raise your voice, or demean the other person. Resolve every fight before you go to sleep or leave each other for the day. And that is that is the read family rules. We do not go to bed angry. At least you say you love each other. You might do it. And I'm, I know that for my wife, I get a very pursed lip kissing your grandma kiss. That's, that's what I get. If it's a big fight, have some space. Own your mistakes and apologize. Forget and don't rub in their wrongdoings. When calm, go out over the issue again in a loving way and discuss it. Learn from your mistakes. My lesson is don't lash out in frustration to hurt someone. I think they already said that. Remember, this is healthy if you let it be. And, of course, they talk about sex afterwards. Um, <clears throat> I think that is important. I don't mean the wife probably get one a month where it's something. It's never huge anymore because... We don't really have money problems, and we don't have kids, and that that's a huge burden off you. But at the end of the day, it is important to talk, and even if it gets heated, you, you just can't not, because God knows every man that's ever been married knows three months later you get your ass chewed for something you did. That's not a good thing. And every man also knows <clears throat> the easiest way to end a fight is just to say, yes, dear, you're right, I'm wrong. I do that a lot, because fuck it. I'm confrontational everywhere else in my life. I love her. She stays with me. And she's a beautiful woman. And she's my best friend. So sometimes I just suck it up and say whatever. Because there's, there's no point. Now granted, if she was sitting here right now, she'd say, bullshit, you're an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And that'd be a whole new fight. That's cool. Cops, hundreds, watch couple lewd display. Pennsylvania duo busted for twisting. Twisting is giving a blowjob. Right in the middle of everybody. Yeah, they got arrested. What the hell, over? Video shows teens pummeling woman at Long Island High School graduation. Group of teens viciously beat a pregnant woman at a Long Island High School graduation, according to witness in a shocking video posted on social media. I was going to play it, not going to. Cell phone video of the horrifying attack was taken by a student at Sunday graduation for the 2017 class of William Floyd High School. In the video, at least three people are seen repeatedly punching and kicking a young woman while she lies prone on the ground and covers her face. At one point, another young woman runs up and punches her. When the victim, whom FIOS1 News identified as Bianca Bouchard, or Bouchard, finally gets up, blood is streaming from her face, and her clothing is torn and ruined. 
She was okay, though. Uh, the baby was okay also, but what the fuck over? It's violent. They don't only like say what started it. It just, it just went crazy. Two dead. Third, third is shot in the head after a domino game in Las Vegas. What the fuck is wrong with people? These people actually got in an argument. He left the house, came back, and started shooting people with his gat. Crazy, crazy shit. <clears throat> Into the shit that I just... Come on, Time Magazine. I know nobody reads you, but get the... F- 25 most influential people on the internet. Christy Teigen. Does anybody even know what rock this lady crawled out from under? All of a sudden, she was just there with LL Cool J on that lip sync show that I used to watch, but then I got stupid. Matt Drudge. I agree. J.K. Rowling. Ah, She wrote all those fucking books. Carter Wilkerson. A simple eight-word request. Help me, please. A man needs his nugs. Earned Wilkerson a place in internet history. In April, the 16-year-old Nevada teen tweeted this message along with a screenshot of him asking Wendy's how many retweets it would take to earn a year's supply of free chicken nugs. Okay. Never heard of him. He actually garnered 3.7 million retweets, which dethroned Oscar selfie queen Ellen DeGeneres... And he got his nugs. See, this is the kind of news that I just kind of one time go, no wonder nobody reads your shit. Yao Chen takes a gumption to speak freely in China. And he did it. Got 79, or she did it. Uh, 79 million followers. Brian Reed, an NPR host. Lib. Alexa Novatsky, Lib. Trump, and then it goes on to he's a piece of shit. Matt Fury, a 37-year-old artist, never intended to create the Internet's most notorious meme. Pepe the Frog. <clears throat> never heard of it. Moving on. Steven Pruitt. Sir Amante Di Nicolo, an era defined by fake news. A 34-year-old Virginian real name, Stephen Pruitt, has emerged as one of the Internet's most prolific guardians of the fact. He's a Wikipedia author. Never heard of him. Baina Albanen. When a seven-year-old girl tweets she's scared of dying in a bomb strike, the world takes notice. She's from uh, East Aleppo. Gigi Gorgeous, a tranny. Jonathan's son, a recent months, interested in a surge of so-called wholesome memes. This guy, I guess, is it. And he's got 475,000 Twitter followers. That skank, Katy Perry. That skank, all the skanks, the Kardashians made the list. Brandon Miller, Joan the Scammer, uh, another tranny. Ezra Levin, Lee Greenberg, Angela Padilla, Sarah and Matt Troller, founders of the Invisible Guide. I never heard of that either. Rihanna, skank. Chance the Rapper, idiot. Ariel Martin, babyface, some singer. i never seen her, heard her. Casey Ho. Ho didn't know anything about fitness, and then she became an infomercial queen. Never heard of her. Huda Katan. Earlier this year, New York Times posed a simple question. Is Huda Katan the most influential beauty blogger in the world? I don't know, because I've never heard of her. Mark Fishback. When more than 17 million subscribers and over 7 billion views on his gaming commentary video. So that's... I don't know him. Daniel Weisberg and Carly Sakin, founders of The Skim, rounded out the list. I... 
every time I see one of these lists, I just go, who the fuck are these people? Okay, these are some interesting back-to-back ones. Patients with mental disorders gets half of all opiate prescriptions in the country. And there's 115 million opioid prescriptions in the United States. That's me. I'm one of them. 50% of them go to mental health problems. And then also, opioids kill nearly 500,000 Americans. They will in the next decade. That's what they're projecting. I, I, there is a huge problem with this. Granted, you know, those that follow the show, I'm in the pain clinic back. That's all they can do. There's nothing else they can do for me. Um, but one time this year, because of Tennessee laws, it changed everybody's prescription. You had to take less if you were taking a lot. I wasn't one of those people. I, I only took um, Percocet. I didn't have a bunch of other stuff. But it, simultaneously, they had to issue me uh, an EpiPen because there's so many overdose. People are just ODing. On the drugs. TLC's trans teen show Redneck Component of Society Won't Accept Transgenders. I'm going to read this. I've never heard of it. Season 3 of TLC's I Am Jazz began with an episode titled Bottoms Up, airing on June 27th, which was yesterday. Jazz Jennings was born a boy but wants to be a girl and has been living as one for years. The teen is turning 16 years old and is ready to complete her physical transition. But she soon realized there's a self-made obstacle in her way. In the past, the final surgery step wasn't taken until the patients reached the age of 18. Now, though, there seems to be a push for minor patients to proceed as soon as it looks like adulthood has been reached physically. Never mind the fact that teenagers' brains aren't even close to being fully developed until they're 20. The reasoning is that patients can recover at home instead of interfering with college days. Jazz tests indicate she's there. Her mother, Jeanette, is adjusting to the fact that this time has come. Her father, Greg, is ready. He wants her to wait until she's 18. The most unusual reaction to me, anyway, was from Grandpa Jack. He candidly said, the sooner the better. It was uncomfortable listening to him talk about her in a sexual way. Then he and Grandma Jackie addressed those who are less than eager to accept transgender people. Certain elements of society of that redneck component. She will always be somebody who was born with a penis. How is that a redneck component? That's a reality. It's a fact. She was born with a penis. You can't. You can shave an Adam apple, but she'll never have a vagina. That's all I have to say. Biology. It's all about bio- biology. That goddamn biology. I just sound like a redneck. In ten years, your iPhone won't be a phone anymore. Surrey will be the conductor of a suite of devices, all tracking your interactions, anticipating your next move. It's 2027. You're walking down the street, confident you'll arrive at your destination, even though you don't know where you're going. You may not even remember why your device is telling you to go there. There's a voice in your ear giving you turn-by-turn directions and in between prepping you for this meeting. Oh, right. You're supposed to be interviewing a dog whisperer for your pet psychiatry business. You arrive at the coffee shop, blah, blah, and afterwards you'll get an automatic generated transcript. As the iPhone this week marks its 10th anniversary of its first sale, it remains one of the most successful consumer products in history. But by the time it celebrates its 20th, the phone concept will be entirely uprooted. That dog whisperer scenario will be brought to you even if you don't even have your phone in your pocket. Sure, Apple may, Apple may still sell a gloss, glossy rectangle. At that point, iPhones may also be thin and foldable or roll up in a scroll like ancient papri or like Westworld. But the suite of apps and services that is today centered around the physical iPhone will have migrated to other more convenient and equally capable devices. 
a body area network of computer batteries and sensors residing in your wrist, ears, face, and in your brain stem. I didn't say that, but yeah, it's kind of creepy where this shit's going. I, I don't, you know, I, I think eventually when my BlackBerry dies, I'm going back to flip phone just to be against the tide. I'm so sick of all this crazy phone shit. Okay, the shocking moment a thug knocks a police officer unconscious in a late night street brawl is captured on Facebook Live, and three men are charged. That's why I covered it. Uh, those that haven't been on the show, I've been covering this for a long time. How the Facebook Live is catching deaths, murders, cops getting beat up, people committing suicide, and this time it was used to get some thugs off the street for beating up a cop. I think that's awesome. Was I talking about black people? No. But you assumed out there, you anti-conservative people, this was in England. That's where it happened. Nice try. Global businesses dig out from latest cyber attack. Another huge one. Struck Ukraine, hit Maersk, the big Connex company and uh, shipping company. It was gigantic. It was on Tuesday, the uh, 27th crazy this goes in the crazy file i'm a gun guy but what the fuck over guns and poses meet the one-man army who owns more than three thousand weapons and proudly boasts the scary title the most armed man in america he lives in colorado and it's worth millions millions was gonna play a soundbite but we're a long podcast uh dig around for the air asia flight where the pilot urges prayers as technical issue forces a turnaround. They were over the ocean. That plane was bouncing like crazy. And I would have sharded myself. That's where I say it was a fart, but I actually shit my pants. It was bad. It was really bad. That was some scary shit. In the cool file, NASA gives okay for designs of super quiet, supersonic experimental airplane. It's cleared a significant milestone on the path to reviewing supersonic passenger jet travel in the U.S. With the completion of its preliminary design, review its low-boom experimental airplane. The low-boom flight demonstrator X-plane, or LBFD, is designed to create a soft thump rather than a loud sonic boom typically associated with supersonic airplanes. The boom is what led federal authorities to ban supersonic passenger flights over land in 73. Um, this would be kind of cool. It's Lockheed Martin. But, you know, since we don't have the, the Concord, yeah, the Concord, we don't have that anymore. Be nice to see this for those who do international flying. I mean, good Lord. Anybody in the military that had to fly to, um, Japan, Korea, hell, just the deployment to Afghanistan was on commercial liner. I don't even know how many line hours that was. I know it was seven from Germany to Afghanistan, but across the pond, be nice to have some supersonic. Elderly flight passenger throws coins in engine for luck. Delays take off for hours. This is really, really super cool. Um, it's in Shanghai. And this older lady, she was about 80. And she had liberal mobility. And was accompanied by her husband, daughter, and son-in-law. When she went to get on the plane, she was so nervous about it. She threw a, what appears to be like nine coins. Like the size of quarters, which I'm assuming is Chinese money. And she threw it in the engine compartment for luck. And of course... They could take off. They had to go out and clean the engine out. And um, I thought that was just a cute story. Facebook is now going to turn into YouTube. 
going to turn into Amazon, Netflix, everything. It's going Hollywood. They're going to do some scripted TV programming, uh, looking for programming aimed at audiences 13 to 34 that avoids politics, news, nudity, and rough language. That'll be kind of cool if you think about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. Good God knows I spend uh, $100 on DirecTV, $9 on Netflix, and $100, or is it $70, $90 a year, or $99 for Prime. And there's still days I can't find shit on TV. Heck, tonight, because I'm solo, I'm going to watch Six Feet Under, which I've already watched twice. Um, interesting article. Uh, I'll just read snippets, because, you know, let's be honest, this is a very long podcast again, but... Bear with me, guys. I get two days to do a podcast. There's nothing for me to do. I got off work at 2 because I did the zero uh, five o'clock report time at work. And I'm just burning time. So I hope this is at least you know, entertaining. It's long. I know that. But um, when I jam only two, there's just so much going on. And I still like to do these uh, news and social media nugget sections because they're just fun. There's a lot of fun stuff. But this one was the genius of Trump tweets. Um President Trump frequently comes under criticism for tweeting, even from his own advisors, but tweeting is probably the smartest thing he's done as a president. He's able to speak directly to the American people without going through the big, biased media mainstream filter. The media doesn't get to ask him slanted questions or pick or choose parts of his press release to publish. Instead, Trump gets immense control over every single sentence he issues, which are then read by millions of Americans. And this breaks down a lot of different things. Um... I'm on record of the show. I, I don't agree with it. I, I kind of one time, you know, think that I would like to see him not do it occasionally. And I think he's taken the media stuff to, too far. But Obama was the beginning of this. He was the digital president. He used Facebook and he used Twitter, Instagram. His approach was to show pictures of people. And he had sycophants all over the place putting out his message. So if you added up all the tweets they were doing and Axelrod and Gibbs and all them, it was not much different. It wasn't as confrontational or in your face, but it was his style, and this is Trump's style. And I think going forward, specifically because Trump did a campaign that was low-end compared to usual campaigns, very little money, doing the big rallies, and really communicating via the internet, I think historians, when they break down the one thing that they'll find positive about Trump, um, (coughs) he capitalized on a campaign where he did get his message out. It might have been, as they will say, as they're defining it, xenophobic, transphobic, trans, you know, all the fucking phobia, deplorable shit. But he did do an interesting approach that had never been done, spent less money, didn't do the normal way, and it worked. Without the Russians' help, because the Russians didn't help him. It just, it worked. So, you know, I think I think it's a different look at it, so that's why I kind of put it in this section, not in the political section. Sunday night with Megan Kelly slips again. This is pretty funny. For those that didn't like her, I was one of them. It has nothing to do with Trump. I didn't like her long before the um, first debate. I just never really dug her. I thought she was just kind of a... She was fake. She just seemed fake. She was a liberal. She was trying to play conservative or at least middle of the road, but she couldn't do it very well. Her air slight, she's getting a .4 rating in 18 to 49 and 3.4 million viewers, according to Nielsen. She's not doing good. 
not doing good at all. Um, to show the difference, lost out to CBS 60 Minutes, which was down for its last new episode with 7.2 million viewers. ABC led the night with a rerun of America's Funniest Home Video. NBC aired Despicable Me and rerun a little big shots forever young for the rest of primetime. ABC Fortunes approved uh, 8-11 games show stack. Celebrity Family Feud got 1.4 rating with 7 million viewers. And I can't watch it because Alec Baldwin, I hate that fucker. And Stevie Harvey's uh, Thunderdome was uh, 5.5 million viewers. I don't do that one. I love Steve Harvey's Forever Young. We, we watch that religiously. That's a great show. Um, it'll be back fresh next week, which I'm looking forward to. Here's a story for the resistance. Since you think America is horrible and, you know, racists are running and voting the president in, Philippines just passed a new law. Sing the national anthem with feelings or go to jail. I mean, seriously. That is probably pretty bad. Yeah, pretty bad. This one's funny as shit. Eighty-year-old former Marine used sickle to fend herself from a rabid bobcat. Um, she got attacked, and it was a she, and she used a sickle and fucked up that animal enough for somebody to come in and kill it. Um, I thought that was pretty badass. That just shows Marine is always a Marine. Yellowstone supervolcano earthquake swarm reaches 878 events in just two weeks. And the top ones are like a 4.4 earthquake, uh, which is kind of scary if you think about it. If you watch the uh, 2012, sweet Jesus, that stuff scares me. This one's pretty shitty, but I got to cover it. And it comes out that this is the same guy did it in another state. Uh, call off the ACLU, at least for now. The state of Arkansas installed a monument to the Ten Commandments on its capital grounds on Tuesday after a controversial two-year battle over the nature of the First Amendment. The ACLU had planned to sue the state over the monument, but someone else took more direct action with their car. Six-foot-tall stone Ten Commandments was kicked down 24 hours daily. Uh, it was a 32-year-old Arkansas man drove a vehicle into the statue. Chris Palace, spokesman, the Secretary of State office said he was called early Tuesday and told a man drove a vehicle through the monument. The driver identified as Michael Tate Reed of Van Buren was arrested by Capitol Police shortly afterwards. Powell said investigators believe Reed recorded himself as he drove. The rest reports to the officers around 445 spotted a dark-colored vehicle, immediately exited my vehicle, and placed the subject in custody. And he's the same guy that did it. I don't know the other state. I heard it on the radio the other day. And I was kind of blown away. I had a big CIS motivational, but we're so long, I'm going to push it to the next podcast. So CIS of Colorado, Colorado, I'm going to get you. I'm going to put it on the next one for Monday. Our lighter fare. Been talking a lot about live PD. Love that freaking show. This one cracks me up. Man jailed after drywall powder mistaken for cocaine. Okay. Here's my issue. He wasn't just jailed. He served 90 days before they tested the shit. How the fuck does that happen? That's horrible. That is just horrible. 
Why isn't somebody protesting that? Oh, because he was white. That's why. Okay. 1980 gore. People are throwing up, fainting, and screaming at George Orwell play on Hollywood. I think this is so funny because remember, this 1984 shit is no different than the Caesar play. Everybody believes that Trump's the president. We're going to go back to a totalitarian regime with fascists and brown shirts and all the crazy stuff. But they're doing something that ain't right when people are really freaking out. The adaptation of George Orwell's 1949 dystopian classic, which opened late last week in New York, is generating queasy responses from the audience. Some of them have been throwing up, feigning, and screaming at the play's extreme torture scenes perpetrated by the totalitarian regime dedicated to suppressing critical dissent. A scene in the show where Rebel Winston Smith, played by Tom Sturridge, is terrorized with a wire cage that contains two large rats is causing special distress. Security guards are now positioned throughout the entire Hudson Theater, and just before opening night, production began barring anyone under 13 from seeing it. And I, I just wanted to put the title, When Liberals Go Too Far. Even with this, they're talking about Trump. In this article, it's still Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. This is very prescient to... Trump. And yet I I don't see anybody torturing anybody. The media is torturing us. And our final lighter fare, here's Yusha Smith. I got a funny backstory on this one on the other side about sensing sessions. We're gonna start from this side of the room and we're gonna work our way over as far as yeah, his fat ass right? about to come in here and uh, help our you. Starting with uh, you. Uh, Hey, my name's Sergeant Charles, man, but fuck all that. How the hell my wife nine months pregnant? I just came back from a 12-month deployment. Man, that's your fault. You met her on Backpage. And another thing, how your ass is going to sit up there and ask us questions with that tight-ass jacket on? Shit, I got a 2X in the car if you need it. Somebody ask him where his combat yeah, patch at. I appreciate that, brother. Uh, what I do with other people's lives is my business, not yours. Okay. I don't understand why Sergeant Anansi can walk around with dreadlocks and I can't. Bitch, cause you white! Can someone explain to me why in the stalls in the latrine there's uh, my name and number and call for a good time? I just wanna know who wrote that so I can get that taken all right, care all right, of. Alright, 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 hey, uh, No, fam, let me go. I got some shit to right. say. Hey, um, shut the hell up in my yard. Sorry, is that Jones? Is, it's William, Sergeant. John, John, okay. Alright, uh, so. Goddamn, Sergeant, you blind as hell. Anyway, I got screenshots that have destroyed the lives of half the people in my platoon, and I ain't trying to let them go for free. I said I'll see you in confidence! Oh yeah, I almost forgot, man. How's Sergeant Stevenson gonna file a sexual harassment complaint on me because I told her to bring me back my abortion receipt? Because you harassed me to get me pregnant, and then you harassed me to get it done! What? Shit, they ain't gonna catch me slipping like that. You know what? <clears throat> alright, Is right. that alcohol? All right. I'm throwing everybody under the bus. Everybody you. about to get that work. I tried taking her advice the last time she was here. I did, Sarmuse, I swear. But when I ask, our equal opportunity, and I'm not talking about you, I'm not going to say no names, what LDGT stood for, this fool said, let us break it and government travel. I know that's not what it's scared for. I know that ain't it. They getting everybody. All right, you're done. You're done. Uh, I got a question. All right. Why the I, building last person, layout look uh, like a swastika? Like no one noticed that? I think that one's so funny. It, it brought me back to the 90s, and I was in Fort Ord, and we had a bunch of gangbangers, because that was back when they still did the go to army, go to jail type thing. And there was a, propen- a 
the, the rap music was going and white guys were saying the N word with the A on the end that African Americans were saying to each other. And we were out in a training exercise and my platoon sergeant was Latino and most of the squalors were, I, I think I was the only squalor that was Caucasian. And we all got together and just said, Hey, listen, we can't have this shit, man. People are getting beat up. We got to just say nobody says it at all. And he started it and it, it just went to shit. And then he finally just screamed. And so that's it. You don't say the N word. You don't say with an A on the end. You just don't say it. And it just, I saw this video and I just went, you know what? That just reminds me so much of army sensing sessions, even if it was this one extreme, but every one of them just turns into a shit show. So half the time is just best not to do them at all. So this wraps up another long episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share it with your family and friends. Send a comment about the track by sending an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. FOPpodcast dot com. It's a theme. To see links to the feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and email us. There you will also see links to every episode on the episode release page, and my blog on the blog page. I'm going to shoot to try to do a podcast, not Monday the 3rd, but probably the um, the 5th on Wednesday. So it'll be another week, and I promise to cut it down some. There's been some good stuff um, that I wanted to cover, but I know these are really long, and they cover about 10 million subjects. So I'll take it down a notch next week. So let's look for the 5th for our next podcast. Um I hope all of you have a great 4th of July with family and friends and get to have a little barbecue and relax. I know myself, I'll be uh, getting off around 2 o'clock on Friday and I don't go back to work till uh, noon on the 5th. So I have a nice long break and, 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 and inherent in that is I'm not going to podcast because uh, most of us will be having fun. You don't need to listen about politics. So I'll probably shut off and then pick it back up around the 4th and put together a script. So... Um, enjoy your family, uh, enjoy the fact that you get to live in this great country, regardless of what the far right and the far left say, what the media says all the time, what Trump says, what everybody says, and what I say on this podcast as I gnash teeth and complain about the media bias and the resistance. It's the best damn country in the world. Um, for those of you who've lived in your little bubble be it right or left your entire life and you haven't left the continental United States and gone there when you weren't on a tour or a vacation or something like that. Um, this is a great country and we're blessed to live here and we should be thankful for that. So I ask you all whether you like Trump, don't like Trump on the 4th, take a pause and think about it. It's a great place. And at least recognize we are the freest country in the world. We could be better, but compared to the rest of the world, we are head and shoulder above them. As always, my friends, thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you on July 5th. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.